All right, guys, Coco Talk, episode 63, is going live in three, two, and one. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Streaming live on YouTube and Roku, available as a podcast and enjoyed the world over. And now, here's your host. All right, welcome everybody to Coco Talk, episode 63. I'm your host, Grant Leedy, the man everybody wants to watch and listen to, the every man's man. The man people want to be friends with. <laughs> Men want to be him. Women want him. That is me, Grant Leedy. Uh, and welcome to Coca Talk episode 63. We have a special treat for you today, boys and girls. We've got a new segment that we're going to be doing uh, where we're going to be going over some tutorials in assembly language. So stay tuned for that. We've got a nice, why did Tandy do that question to ask this week? And we've got a panel of um, experts, good-looking people, and just uh, otherwise, you know, happening groovy cats here. So why don't we start on uh, my top hand, left-hand corner. We have standing in front of a banner that says Coco Talk. We've got Grant Leedy with us. Say welcome to the program, Grant. Hello, everybody. Glad to have you back. We've got, uh, looks like he's raining pixels right now. Uh, James Diffendaffer is here. Howdy. How are you, James? Uh, not in the garage today. Looks like he got uh, he got his leash extended. He was able to get back into the house. Uh, Ron Delvaux with us. How you doing? <laughs> We're doing good. <laughs> From down under the thunder, Mr. Nicholas Morentes. Hello, Nick. Where's Mute. that mouth? <laughs> Where's my crickets button? There we go. Can't wait for your there we go. Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Morentes, going once, going twice. All right, good day, everyone. Hello. <laughs> good day. Good day. Yeah. All right, Canadian number one on the program today, Mr. D. Bruce Moore. Hey. How are you? How's it going, eh? <laughs> going good. Canadian number two, L. Curtis Boyle. Good day. All right. <laughs> We've got the host of the Coco Crew podcast, Mr. John W. Linville is with us. How are you? Good <laughs> That guy who made popcorn is with us here, Steve Bjork. Hey, everybody. <laughs> at, least you didn't, Mr. Mark. at least you didn't say Zach's on. <laughs> yeah, i got to mix it up. <laughs> Mark, that, that guy who has an apple, Mark D. Overholzer, is here with us. Thank you. The master of self-modifying code, Simon Jonason, is here. Welcome, <laughs> Simon. <laughs> And then we've got a bunch of people in the live chat with us right now. So Wayne Aaron is watching us live from Sam's Club. Live via Sam's Club. It's Wayne Aaron. And uh, Nick Marota is here. Hey, oh, hey, Nick in O Canada. So uh, we now go to the part of the program where we will talk about um, project updates and acquisitions. But real quick, too, before we even do that, um, since John is here, Mr. John. W. Linville. Um, for those of you who missed it, um, uh, when was it? Last week? Wednesday, right? This week. Yeah. Uh, time flies. Just a couple right. of days ago, two or three days ago. Yeah. yeah so, um, so uh, John and the members of the Coco crew, they had um, uh, hosted a uh, roundtable that's, that's going to appear on the next episode of Coco Crew podcast. So, a roundtable discussion on the state 
of the cocoa, kind of like the State of the Union. <laughs> and, um, and it was great. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. It was good to hear um, a lot of people's input on that. And it's always kind of good just to reach out and um, remind us all that we are a community and see how we're doing, how we're feeling, and, you know, what, what we're thinking about doing next. So yeah. just want to say bravo and thank you for doing sure. that. Sure. I'm glad a number of you, the people, uh, a number of your regulars, uh, jo hosts uh, joined us and uh, some other people from the community. And uh, we've done these from time to time, uh, usually around Christmas time and then uh, before Coca Fest. They usually work out pretty well. We get some uh, new opinions or different opinions in. Um, people give us hints on, um, you know, things that maybe we should be covering or thinking about covering or maybe issues in the community that could be worked on, that sort of thing. So, like I said, it's sort of a release, release valve. Um, you kind of uh, set the, the show back uh, closer to its roots. And as I'm sure you understand, uh, sometimes it's good to have uh, more than just a couple of people uh, <laughs> working on the show content. Um, so, so yeah, so we, uh, we may do this a little more often. Um, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think it's worked out pretty well so far. And, uh, anyway, if you were on the show, thanks. If you listen to the show or watch the stream on, uh, on Facebook, um, I hope you, you enjoyed it. And, um, so yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. 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 It kind of got me, um, it kind of tail ended on a discussion we had at the end of last week's show too where i was asking everybody who works on projects you know what do you guys do to stay motivated how do you stay how do you stay on target stay focused and it was just between the discussion that we had and then having you do your little thing it kind of gave me a shot in the arm and i kind of feel a little bit more motivated and more coco energized now and so um you know i came up with my own little hashtag of commitment coco so <laughs> i'm gonna try to I'm going to try to do more cocoa and more cocoa things and make that a priority. So uh, you got me motivated to want to try to do more for myself and the hobby and the community and things like that. So thanks. Cool. Sounds great. And um, Steve Bjork's got me motivated to want to jump on assembly a lot sooner. And he's starting a series that we kind of test piloted uh, last weekend. Uh, and we're going to make it formal. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm accelerating my plans there, too. So it's nice to have this inspiration and this motivation from around the community, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So good times. So thanks. Thank you, Mr. Linville. Um, now, does anybody else have, I think, Curtis, you were mentioning that you've been fixing things that, uh, David Ladd didn't break these things that you fixed, did he? No, these are some, uh, bugs that are in the current builds of Nitrous 9, and, uh, I, I thought it was a VCC problem, so I wasn't really paying too much attention to it, because we know VCC has some bugs. But, uh, in this case, it actually seems that something changed between 2.01 up to the current 3.3, where... If you're trying to move the mouse on a 200 line screen versus a 192 line screen, you can never move the mouse past the bottom eight or onto the bottom eight lines. So there's a whole chunk of the screen you can't hit, <laughs> and uh, mm. it's got some hard coding in it that it checks to see if your mouse cursor is going past 191. Then stop. Mm. Now, if you have the keyboard mouse turned on, it works fine. That one checks for the proper what is the height of your screen. You know, that's your maximum position. Ah, Whereas okay. the one using the actual joystick or the high-res mouse interface is going, no, if it's anything past 192, I don't care what size your screen is, we're not doing it. <clears throat> so I'm just kind of hunting through and trying to figure out uh, what all I have to fix and document some stuff. There's some incorrect comments in the source code and stuff, too. I think some mm. people are kind of guessing. So that's what I've been working on the last little while. Incorrect or rude, or rude comments. 
No, incorrect. Like <laughs> I, I think they were trying to figure out some code. I, it looks like they got part of the level two upgrade when they split joystick driver into joy driven, the sound driver into the sound driven stuff. And I think they took some guesses what some of the routines were doing, but I can see already that some of the comments are wrong. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of going through and figure out how it's supposed to work, and then I can fix it. Hey, Curtis, when okay. I use the uh, planet program, mm-hmm. is, is that the uh, uh, bunch at the bottom that's a bar going across when I use the program? Yeah, where you can move the mouse cursor down there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's exactly that's the same problem. Okay. Um, you just made me think of something, Curtis. So... Right now, Nitrous 9 is um, basically assuming it's running on a real original Coco, and there is a finite maximum vertical resolution of possibly 225 lines, right? Or 200, whatever the case may be. Now, we have these other projects like the Roger Taylor Matchbox and the uh, FPGA and now the Mister. And this makes me think of like Windows. Windows even like windows 3.1 it didn't know what resolution it was on but it was able to figure out the resolution and you could scale things appropriately could, could if you're going to make these changes could they be made in a way to be aware of screens different than our traditional resolutions to be future proof on newer hardware platforms is that too much work um some of that code's in there already and always has been um mm-hmm. i mean that's the reason we could switch between 192 and 200 fairly easily uh, the 225, we could have supported. The reason we didn't is that it you have to map in an extra 8K block or you have to get complicated and start swapping stuff in and out depending on what part of the screen you're running to, just the way the graphics driver set up. And we decided that it would be worthwhile more so to use that extra 8K to expand the graph-driven driver so we can add a whole ton of extra functions or speed things up with unrolled loops, etc. would be worth more than just the extra 25 lines of resolution. Some people may disagree with us on that, but... We may eventually see if we can do it. I do know that Bill's been helping with some of the graph drip stuff for the you know FPGA projects and stuff and Roger Taylor's boards, mm-hmm. and I think he does have higher support. I know the text mode goes up to 80 by 60. Okay. So there is some extended support already in, in those versions. Yeah. No, it just seems like if you're if you're making changes, if you, these could be somewhat global or universal changes that would fit a bigger picture platform that, you know, since there's a few other options yeah. out there, or maybe that, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you don't want to overcomplicate There, there things, is some scaling in there already for doing, ironically enough, smaller screens, because you can set up a window to only be like a quarter of the screen. And some mm. programs will just take the raw pointer of the mouse and go, okay, you're off my current window, so I won't do anything. But others will actually scale it within the window, and it'll you'll get resolution as if you're running on a full-size screen, but you just program it as if it's a full-screen uh, app, and it actually knows you're scaled. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool, cool. Well, that's neat. Um, Simon Jonason, we have not spoken to you in a while. You got anything cooking, your demo scene project coming along? Anything else you've melted the minds of anyone lately? (laughs) Yeah, I've done a couple of things, but uh, it's slow. It's slow because we've got summer and stuff like that, you know. Lots of stuff to do in the yard, you know. Long-haired one. uh, Well, you have to keep the long-haired ones happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so Grant has nothing to worry about. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bruce Moore, we had a little um, kind of a uh, little party for you last week, a little soiree to celebrate. Uh, what was that project called again? Coco Forever. <laughs> How does it feel? 
Yo! Man, that song is still stuck in my head, right? So uh, how have things been since your big walk on the red carpet and, you know, the the walk of the you know, star on the Hollywood sidewalk and all that kind of stuff? Uh, oh, it's been awesome. Uh, I, I have to keep my doors shut and the windows the <laughs> drawn. And, and they're all over me, yeah. Go out in disguise. But, yeah, exactly. Yes, you, so you've done out, you've done the Ellen Show and the Tonight Show and all those other major media ones, right? So yeah, they'll uh, be coming out shortly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I've been uh, in my basement um, uh, working away and uh, post production on on the uh, the other episodes. They're all all the dialogue is done. It's a matter of just um, piecing together uh, the background, the soundscape, and all that, and then uh, you know start cranking them out. So this is a this is Excellent. the tough part. Yeah, well, you know, I know, I know your um, your commitment to quality on the project in, in in the production and everything else is obviously second to none. And I know we went through, um, you know, we did some testing and we went through a few different things to make sure that the experience that people on YouTube got um, was as the fidelity was as rich as possible. And then um, that carried over to the audio podcast and I listened to it in the car and the Bluetooth on the, you know, nice sound system. Yeah, and how'd that come out? It, it sounded good. It sounded yeah. good. You could hear the stereo, you could hear like the footsteps and the elevator dings and all that stuff. So it did have, uh, you know, the nice three dimensional space to it. So it, it, the whole thing carried through. So, um, right. you know, it's, it's all part of not just the story, but the whole quality of the, of the product, you know, and, um, yeah, it was a good experience. So, uh, I appreciate your tenacity when it came to wanting it to be as good as it could be. You know, how did how so. did you feel about the end of episode three, where where Curtis Boyle died? It was awesome. <laughs> 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 oh, did I give away a spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It was good. Oh, I don't have to do um, recording. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Did we lose you, or are you just like shocked there, I'm, Bruce? Your picture. I seem to be frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I thought you were in a state of shock because you have this look that <laughs> didn't move. <laughs> it's not the best look on my face, but I, it could be yeah. worse. Um. So no, it was good. It's it's been good. So um, and it's yeah. Every episode now kind of sets you up for wanting to hear what happens next. So uh, it's very binge worthy for sure. All right. That's what I'm saving for. All right. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Um, and anybody else had anything going on uh, this week that they want to share? I'll save mine for last. I got a few things to share with you guys. Well, let's see. Now, is this a, is this a brief share thing, Ron? Or are we going to do this for your I can just do a little screen share of uh, my Ron's garage. I have a... Okay. <clears throat> Let me see if I can figure out how to do it. Okay, here's some here's some figuring out music for you. <laughs> Today on Coco Talk, Rondell Vaux figures it out. Okay. <laughs> well, I pushed the button. There we go. We see it. Okay. This just in. Ron Garage is on the screen. What we have is a 16K. <laughs> basic Radio Shack computer, uh, thought to be of practically no use, uh, but then uh, I took the um, cartridges and stuck them in, and they actually uh, work on a 16K machine with no extended basic. Isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, as long as the cartridge is designed to work in 16K, it doesn't need the basic because it's just going to what we're talking about today, assembly language, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. And that's something as a kid I, I couldn't fully connect the dots on because if you had color basic, you couldn't do high-res graphics in basic necessarily, but the games could. And so I was like, well, I'm glad they figured it out, but I don't know why I can't do it. But, you know, so extended basic added, you know, the ability for us to easily talk to that screen, but the, the graphics modes are there. Um, there you go, Steve. Yeah, audio spectrum analyzer. There you go. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> mega bug. <laughs> yeah, All the, the stuff the that computer I did for Tandy, though, we were not allowed yeah. to use ROM calls. Huh. So it didn't matter what you had in there. As long as the cartridge got to boot, it was happy. Now, was that any ROM yeah. calls you weren't allowed to do or just extended basic ROM calls you weren't allowed to do? Any. Because I thought Rick Adams used some in some of his cartridges. You're not supposed to. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he said either the joystick or the keyboard scan he was using the ROM. Mm. Yeah, I think mine too. The the one I have hooked up right now in, in my background, that's a, a extended basic one point, uh, not, color basic 1.3, mm -hmm. which I had never seen before back in the day. Um, well, there was, and even the date, the dates off, uh, dates newer too. 1984 is the date on that. There was a couple that they had some vector entries for, but <laughs> it's still you had to keep the memory alive for what they're doing. So you lost a lot of the direct page. So it was always better just not to do the ROM calls. Yeah. yeah. And as far as the Color Basic 1.3, if I remember correctly, that was the one done for the Coco 2s that allowed the two-chip upgrade because there's some programming you had to do differently if you're doing the two-chip upgrade, the 4464s versus the old 4164s where you had to have eight chips. That was what the last ROM change 1.3 was for. Mm. There you go. When, when you say when you say two-chip, two chips of what? Two chips of RAM yeah. or the two chips of BASIC? Yeah, because the later Coco 2s, you could actually take your two of your 128K chips from the Coco 3 and plop them in and upgrade to 64K instead of having mm. to get a whole bank of eight of the okay. older chips. Basically, Ooh, the chips yeah. have four bits wide by <laughs> yeah. 64,000 bits long, okay. 64K. So the older ones yeah. have one bit by 64. That's why you have to have eight to make a byte versus two to make a byte. Yeah. Ooh, binary. I, I'm, oh, Mark Siegel just commented too. He says, later on, we did have a set um, of calls that were allowed. Um, but in, I guess in, in, the, in, the, in the early days, uh, that was, it was hands-off, right? Right. Well, Don't touch those ROM calls. There was a lot of programs that had problems. Now, the one system... ROM that did seem to have better vectors for doing stuff was the disk extended basic. Yeah, discon. Yeah, but uh, once again, I didn't use it. Hmm. Because some hmm. of the stuff that you were doing changed when they had version 1.0 and 1.1. Yep. Um, All right. Well, there even the color basic ROMs, I mean, they changed the way the in key scan worked and it. Hmm. I think they did something to speed it up a bit to skip the break key, and it actually caused some problems with some games that it wouldn't register the key presses quite the same. Yeah, some of these people, they take the Unravel books, find where the ROM code was, and just use it saying, oh, it'll never change. Yeah. Ah. Right. Ah, ha, ha, ha. 
Hey, it's it's in ROM. It's read only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Disk Basic was bad because one for one actually instead of just adding the command on the end, they actually shifted a bunch of stuff around. So all the people that were cheating and directly calling ROM routines, all of them broke. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I see. I see. All right. Um, so I guess I can share a, a, a project update or two since we're at that part of the show right now. i got to find out how I switch over my screen here. I think I'm on the right screen. All right. So as far as project updates, and again, this all kind of goes in from what we talked about last week um, kind of got me um, motivated to want to do something. Um, and then the... Um, State of the Cocoa got me thinking about it too, so I said I gotta just finish what I started. And and one of the monkeys on my back has been my programming and basic series that I started two and a half years ago. So I have released chapter 27, chapter 28, and chapter 29. So in one week, I've released three chapters and three episodes, which is more than I've done in the past year. And I've got roughly five chapters left. And I did basically publicly say I want to finish this chapter i want to finish this book and finish this project this month during the month of june so hopefully that will be done um soon you got so, a week um got a week so we are going to get her done i just real quick show some numbers too um we're on our total lifetime downloads of just the podcast because i if i try to add up all the youtube views i don't know what they would be but we're very dangerously close to nine thousand downloads and that's kind of a cool number so i just want to say thank you to everybody who has been um kind of experiencing the podcast with us um thank you for doing that now what i will also show off right now which i guess technically is uh maybe a uh, a world premiere but not only did i crank out um three chapters in um in basic this week but just this morning I also um, cranked out uh, a little bit more update to my game, Cosmic Aliens. And it's definitely starting to drag in basic. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and so, yes, yes, I know that um, the plan is to do it in assembly, but I, I'm going to still... I'm gonna get I'm gonna get it done in basic first to get it done and say yeah this sucks it's time to move on. <laughs> so, but what we're gonna do right now and just to make my life a little bit easier and make the game suck a little bit less it's not really a game yet but it's been um, um, I'm going to I'm I'm gonna do it on a Coco three where I can boost the speed. Um, okay, so then Paul Thayer just mentioned that. Um, uh, in my short experience, it has been much more beneficial to create my own keyboard routine. Typically, I don't need the status of every key. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Aliens 06. I guess there's a uh, there's an S in there. All right. So I'll show you the latest and greatest on this one, and I'm going to give it a little speed boost. And then we're going to run it. And what you're going to see right... Oh, hold on. Hold on. RGB because I'm doing a Coco three now. Let's try this. Well, again. the Coco one too, you can do that other speed up. It's not quite as much, but yeah, yeah. Help. But let's uh, get maximum speed ability here. All right, now I'm not. Uh, you've already seen. You know that I can um, move left and right and fire my shots. That's still in there. I don't have a joystick plugged in. But now my aliens are also dropping bombs, and I've got up to four aliens and four bombs on the screen and you can see how blistering fast this is right so um but 
they're here and that was one more thing on my list you know step one move left and right step two fire laser it's very colorful you know, step three now step three get bad guys to drop bombs so now my bad guys are randomly moving around they are now dropping bombs i can move left and right i can fire a single shot uh, i have it set up to where technically i could have up to eight shots on screen which would just you know slow it down even more where are your bombs <laughs> so, so what's that where are your bombs uh, like I said, I, I don't have my joystick plugged in. I can fire a laser. I already showed off the fact I can fire a laser. I can move and I can shoot. But the newest addition right now is the ability for these guys to drop bombs. So that was, you know, just kind of going through this one step at a time. Hey, now it's going to get real. Seriously, Steve, at this speed, you might get to level two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, um... So I'm uh, I'm just kind of happy that I I did more work on it today, you know. Um, how many? Because how much again, time to get it to this point. Help it all. How much time to get to this point on Cosmic Aliens? Yeah. Cosmic Aliens, I kind of started just towards the end of last year, so um, you know, this project is not six months old, uh, but I have not been working on it anywhere near consistent. Um, but I did more to I did more to the program. So there you go. I did stuff, and now I feel like much less of a slacker, because you got people like Bruce Moore who are putting out freaking programs and uh, audio drama. You got, uh, you know, all you guys with your software and your hardware and your podcasts, you overachievers. Uh, so Stevie, making me feel like a slacker. <laughs> I got a question for you, Stevie. Yes. Using Basic 09 would that help speed it up, or is it just a lost cause? Oh, I'm sure it would. I'm sure basic on I would be a lot faster, but then I have to learn basic on I. So right now, um, whatever. Yeah. No, I'm sure it would be faster, right, Curtis? Yes. Yeah. The good news is it would be faster. The bad news is it would require OS 9. So. <laughs> he's, he's, he's still months away from deployment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, basic 09 is definitely faster than color basic. Yeah, just having all of um, your, your positions and stuff in integers rather than floating point numbers would help. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's going on in the in the text chat? And am I missing anything in the text chat? Because I can't keep up with these knuckleheads here. What's going on here? Uh, okay, so James Diffendaffer was saying that um, Skype crapped out and he's going to monitor on YouTube. Uh, when did Jim Brain get here? Jim Brain got in here. John Doe was here earlier. John Doe said hi. Um, Retro Innovations says his hashtag is hashtag Lazy Coco. <laughs> um, Have you mentioned Mark Siegel? Yeah, Mark Siegel mentioned that when when Steve was talking about rom calls, ah, yeah. um, he said there were some that were allowed. Uh, Paul Thayer, we got Paul Thayer. And then uh, Paul Thayer says, if you do it in basic first, it will help you to transition to assembly. Um, Nick Marotta says, basic 09, is it still kind of in interpreted? Um, how do you explain how basic 09 works? Because it kind of gets pre-compiled, doesn't it, as, it's, as you're entering in your stuff? Yeah, it's kind of in between. It's kind of like a byte code yeah. type thing, because it does pack... It does tokenize everything ahead of time. It, it creates your contents ahead of time and stuff, so it doesn't have to keep reinterpreting, figuring out line number over and over again, that kind of thing. So it's, it's a pseudo kind of code. Yeah. Pseudo code? Yeah, it's kind of in between. It's 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 not fully compiled, but it's not interpreted either. Okay. Or like P code of the uh, Pascal system. 
Yeah, actually, the the Nitrous Nine or OS Nine uh, Pascal actually has P code, and it's got the equivalent of Run B, which is the runtime module for Pascal Nine. That basically does the same thing for Pascal. Well, you got to remember okay. Pascal; it compiles into an imaginary, imaginary machine. Yeah, it's like similar Java. to Java, and um, so all you have to do is have your runtime package, and it'll work on any machine. Yep. More so than Java. <laughs> or could it be that I worked on Pascal and I kind of <laughs> have a certain love for it? Mm -hmm. is it? Is it a love that's similar to MC10 or is it a genuine love? It's a genuine love. <laughs> <laughs> now, right. now people understand why I hate Java so much because I know how it can be done right. Huh. What we need is RunB that runs on top of Disk Extended Color Basic. Then you could code in Basic 09 and run it without OS 9. Yep, that's Who's true. up for the challenge? Not me. I'm still optimizing RunB for 6309, so I'll be busy for a while. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I kind of I get that, right? So, um, it's on the list, but here's the thing, right? So, I, and when I started doing Basic you know two and a half years ago i thought okay i'll go through extended color basic then maybe i'll do a little segment on the disc extended color basic because that's a pretty thin book and i'll cover that and then you know for craps and giggles i'll get to the coco 3 super extended color basic and just cover the new commands and just kind of like layer it all on but if i will if i'm going to try to cover everything that basic offers right now it's just going to drag out my ultimate goal which was to learn assembly and start working on an assembly project so i want to put the extended color basic um, for the Cocoa 1 and 2, I want to put that to bed. I want to have at least one project I do in BASIC, and it's it started, and I'm going to continue to work on that, but um, I'm also going to, by, by July 1st, I'm going to start working on assembly. So I'll start my new series, Learning Assembly, and, um, and we'll start that. And then uh, I'm hoping that as we start that series between Steve's segments and everybody else on our, in our community here that knows assembly, I'm hoping some other people will want to come in and um, co-host some episodes with me or some bonus content and, and give some good examples because I'm just going to follow the William Barden book. I'm going to be approaching this as the idiot abroad, the guy who's never done assembly and just learn it. But I'm not going to be able to really contribute any value added to it. But I know a lot of you can, so I'm hoping... And inviting you all to, as I cover new chapters, to send, hey, here's here's an example we can do. And maybe we'll do a bonus. Uh, what are you holding up there, John? Sorry. Was... Oh, oh, nothing. Just a, a, little, a little light reading. The, the service manual for the, for the MC-10. <laughs> They're built so well, they don't need any servicing, <laughs> though. <so. laughs> oh, well, you got to uh, remember, the MC-10, its natural state is to be dead. <laughs> 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 but but the thing is too is i know there's a lot of books on just learning the 6809 but i want to learn 6809 for the color computer mm -hmm. so um and and, it, and from what i can tell and i've got a whole bunch of experts here on the panel uh, i've always been told and i've been led to believe that the william barden book is a great place to start it is my favorite one was the don and kurt Inman one but it's very very hard to find yeah, okay i've got both uh, the teapot one's not bad either but, yeah, uh, Tepco, yeah. And he had an addendum for the Cocoa 3 stuff, too. Yeah. But, you know, they're all kind of Cocoa-centric and cover sort of the same territory. So, um, yeah. I like the Barden best myself, I think. 
<laughs> James Diffendaffer says there's so few parts there, there's little to go wrong with the MC-10, right? There's the, uh, there's the hamster wheel, <laughs> there's the hamster, and then there's the carrot you put in front of that, right? So, <laughs> so um, cool. All right, so how about we... Um, how about we do a quick, we're going to recognize our sponsors. We'll take a commercial break, and then we'll come back. And you ready to start uh, the assembly segment, Mr. Bjork? Oh, sure, if you're ready for, for it. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to have my mind blown. So Stevie's always um, ready for level one. Bring it on. Always level for ready one. Yeah, I'm here, I'm here to test collision detection and let you show off your game over screen. So <laughs> hold on one second here. We're going to fire up some our sponsor page here. Sounds a lot like the Ron Delvaux is trying to figure things out music here. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we want to quickly recognize uh, uh, people who are members of our community who provide cool things for us to enjoy, including the Coco VGA project at CocoVGA.com. He can't be here today, but he's with us in spirit. Troll Jr., Richard Lorbieski at BoysonTech.com. Get yourself one of those fine quality imitation knockoff products that he makes. When you want some good stuff, you will go over to Go, the number four retro at uh, Retro Innovations, where you can get quality products for uh, Commodore and TI and Coco stuff. If you'd like to make an SD card boot up like a ROM pack, visit sdpack.com. If you have not already gotten your Switch RGB2 Shark cable, head on over to Coco3scart.com or cocoman.biz. As a reminder, we are now live multicasting on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Thank you, Roger Taylor, for that. If you want to get yourself a cool Coco t-shirt, visit 8bit256.com. Uh, if you want to find out more about the color computer, go to imacoconut.com. To find out more about us and to communicate with us, connect with us on the Internet, go to cocotalk.live. Let's not forget the Coco Crew podcast the show that started them all at cococrew.org. And last but certainly not least, our good friend and Nick's neighbor, Brian Joyce in Australia, in his Extructus Productions at fd501.com. There you go. I said it. You heard it. It's on the internet. It must be true. So we are now going to switch over and we're going to play a commercial. We'll be back in about a minute and a half. So smoke them if you got them, drain them if you have to. And we're going to start some assembly language programming. Thanks, guys. Hi, it's Ron Dovo, Timberman, and this is Coco Talk. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. 
Not JT. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. All right, you got to love that Fletcher. <laughs> Paul Thayer says, I've never met a woman named Fletcher. Now, see, back in the good old days when uh, women were basically objects, we could refer to them by their last name. <laughs> woman, get me that report thing, woman, and grab me a cup of coffee, too. <laughs> that was the simpler times. Uh, so <laughs> uh, before we... Uh delve into this stuff i wanted to say that uh, paul barton says that he's uh, been working on a two megabyte uh, board uh, i guess he got w one working and he's got a couple others he's going to be wiring together which is interesting nate nate who would ever need more than two megabytes <laughs> so that should be fine so uh excellent 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 well we're going to have to play some more music here, so let's play one of Curtis's little clips here. We're going to a little intro, intro track here. Woo! Gotta love that, right? Sh should we have, um, should I put a little picture of you up here too, um, uh, Steve? Do you want to be on camera while you're talking about this? Uh, if you want to put in the bottom corner or something like that, that's fine, but... It's mostly going to be this lovely voice I got today over these slides. Okay. Uh, give me just a second here. Your voice sounds lovely. It does. Yeah. Uh, let me... hmm. no, School bell to ring. That's great. This kind of worked here, I think. Uh, well, you're, you're kind of on the screen right now. I'm not sure if you're going to stay there. But I'll put you right there. Okay. There you go. That, that, um, that should work okay. Hey, should we all have our computers on the first page? or <laughs> What should we do? Um, Take notes? Uh, are you, you, uh, that's up to you. I guess if, if with your permission, if you want, we could circulate this later on, Steve, the, um, the little presentation? or uh, Yeah, but we'll discuss that offline. Okay. All right. So. Well. We're going to try and do these things in bite size. Ha ha. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're not going to try and cover too much material. We're going to bring it in small segments. That way you have a chance to absorb it. Uh, also, it's not a bad idea, uh, you know, a few days later to watch the segment again and just pick up on the little nuances that you may have missed out the first time. So why don't we go? Oh, by the way. This first one is a foundation, and it's all about the math. And I got to explain to you in this lesson how math works on a microprocessor. So go ahead and go to the first slide after the or next slide. Okay. All right. When it comes to doing work, you know, we're we're working with digital microprocessors. And digital, the main thing about it is 
you have information that's stored in a bit or whatever, and these have two states, zero or one, or on and off. Very simple to do, and it's very good to keep. Now, in the case of something like when you have more states for a digit, like what we usually use for math, like what we call decimal, you can have anywhere from zero to nine in each digit. Well, it's more likely that you might get an error where the number four can shift to a number five very easily. And a good example of this type of error is Samsung, when they came out with their 840 um, SSD drives, after a while, they would shift because you basically had eight states per memory cell. And sometimes what you store in there went from like a five to a four after not rewriting the cell for about a year. And they discovered that their solid state drives were having problems. So um, this, this is one of the reasons why digital microprocessors do use digital, which is on and off for the information state. And you're going to also sit there. Well, you can't do much if your answer is zero or one. How do you calculate two, three, four, or higher numbers? Well, it's the same thing that we do with, let's see. Well, let me just continue here with what I've got on the slide. With digital, it's harder to make an error. Uh, the, the other thing is pretty much really easy to do math when you only have two possibilities per bit. Why don't we go to the next slide? Because that's, I started to skip to that information. Okay. How do you do larger numbers than what can be held in a digit? Well, in the case of decimal or base 10, you can have 10 states per digit, zero through nine. Binary or base two, which is this, what the processor uses, only has two states, zero or one. But just, you know, how you do the math for larger numbers is you add more digits. Let's quickly go to the next slide. Now, on this slide here, I'm showing off how each of the digits hold a much larger value. Now, that first box up at the top um, shows how you can have a thousand, a hundred, tens, and ones. You remember this from math in <laughs> mm -hmm. school. It's That's what each of the digits represent. So, if you take the number 245 and you want to convert it into decimal, it is zero times a thousand, two times a hundred, uh, four times ten, and one, uh, five times one. That's what each of the digits represent. So you can see it comes out as 245. Now, if you want to do it in binary or base two, you can see that each digit on the lower um, grid there represents a power of two. You can have it either be zero or one, 
zero or two, zero, four, as you go across the columns until you get to zero or 128. So if we were going to do the number 245 in binary, it would actually come out as one, 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 zero, one, zero, one. That's an awful lot of digits to represent binary. <laughs> so if we go to the next slide. There's different other base systems that you can use out there to represent the numbers. You're still doing it in binary, but you're putting the bits together. And one of the favorite ones that Moarola likes, and I have to agree with him, it's the better one, is something called hexadecimal or base 16. Think of it as hex being 6 and decimal being 10, or 16 digits, because that's what hexadecimal is. Now, it still has what you're familiar with with base 10, which is 0 through 9. And then they got really creative and came up with A, B, C, D, E, F to represent the extra uh, uh, numbers in hexadecimal. As you can see, computer people are really creative. <laughs> And basically, A equals 10, B equals 11, C equals 12, D equals 13, E equals 14, and F, the grade that we all try to avoid in school, is 15. <laughs> so to represent the number uh, 245 in base 16 or hexadecimal, on the grid I show 256, 16, and 1 for the different digits. And there's nothing in the 256 since 255 I mean 245 is less than 256 so that's a zero mm -hmm. but you've got 15 for the 16 digit and then you've got one for the um, the smaller digit so if you look at the little thing at the bottom where I show the numbers being added up it's 15 times 16 and 5 times 1 which is 245 but comes out as F5 in hexadecimal because F is the 15 F so that, is that, 15. that number 15 under the 16 you write as F and then the 5 is just 5 so. and as you can see the main reason why I bring up hexadecimal would you rather write two digits two numbers down or the eight numbers or for binary. The eight zeros and ones, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it actually yeah. makes it easier to follow. Why so not that's just write 245? Because that's <laughs> decimal and the, comu the computer doesn't think decimally. Well, that's, <laughs> why, that's why I'm doing this foundation in math. Yeah. This computer really speaks yeah. in binary. And I'm trying to get you to, to do binary or hexadecimal. That's the way the computer thinks. Now, you can, in the assembler, put in decimal 10 and we'll see that as hexadecimal 0a so there hmm. there there are ways to put it in easy for you to use terms but in some cases it's better to use this hexadecimal system for the information right. especially if you're pointing to a memory location it's just easier trust me. you know when I would put in pokes and basic 
I would use the hexadecimal function for the memory location. I would not sit there and type in 65, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, I would. Yeah. well, the, num the number I always remember when you needed to auto-boot a cartridge was exec and HC triple zero, yep. right? That was the... Uh, that was the the number for that, but what that is, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But I just knew that was what I typed in. <laughs> I never, I never did the math to convert it to. to what, what's that, John? Four nine one five two. Okay, four nine one five two. Okay. So <laughs> now I, 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 I want to point one thing out here. One of the reasons that we like using hexadecimal is that it it coincides like your binary is two to the power of however many bits you have, and decimal is kind of in between those. You can't evenly do that in an even number of bits. It'll take more bits one way, or depending on the number, and less bits the other way. With hexadecimal, it actually matches up exactly. So every hex digit is exactly four bits and represents every single representation of those four bits you can be from 0 to 15. Now, there are other processors out there, uh, PDP-11, um, some of the other mainframes, Intel, Intel. They like using octal. And if you remember your stuff from school, octal means eight. So instead of having it where you've got 16 digit, 16 numbers for the digit, you only have mm -hmm. zero through seven or eight digits. And so if you were going to write down uh, 255, you would have to write down, oh boy, I can't even do octal that well anymore. But you would, yeah, it would be um, three, seven, seven. seven. Three, yeah, seven, 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 or something. Yeah, three like that, and right? two sevens, three, seven, oh, seven. Okay. And so it's a little longer, and you have to think about it because it doesn't, as Curtis point out, it doesn't break down that easily to uh, decimal, and it doesn't match a byte either. <laughs> yeah, like that too. Yeah, mm. so it's just this this hexadecimal. That's the real point here: binary and hexadecimal. Now you also notice that. These numbers are what we call whole numbers. In other words, there's no decimal point. It's all integer math. And Curtis mentioned earlier, you can speed things up if you use integer math. Because when you do full floating point decimal, you have a lot of calculations to do because you've got to convert that into something the processor can handle, which is integer and then convert it back as part of the, the calculation process. Yeah, and you're dealing with exponents and all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> And signs and, oh, yeah. So these are areas we don't want to get into at all in the beginning stages. Agreed. We want to keep it. <laughs> go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay, here we go. Next slide. Now, come on. Okay, it takes a moment to come up on my screen. <laughs> Anyways, 8-bit uh, and 16-bit numbers are used by the 6809. Now we're getting to the actual stuff of the microprocessor. Um, that's why the 6809 is called an 8-slash-16-bit CPU. Because it can do both easily well. And as I was saying before, hexadecimal, hexadecimal digits are represented in four bits, a nibble, in the binary. In other words, if you look at the line below, 
you can go from an 8-bit hexadecimal number can go from 00 to FF or 0 to 255. Now you understand why you never see anything. Like when you do a poke, it's never higher than 255. It's always some number lower than that mm -hmm. because that's part of the problem. Memory cell can only hold numbers from 0 to 255. Now a 16-bit hexadecimal number can go from 0 to FFFF, which is also going from 0 to 6,500, I mean 65,535 in decimal. That is its limit range. And that's also why Cocos 1 and 2 had a limit of 64K of RAM because the 16-bit numbers primarily are used to address memory. And if you can't go over that 65,535, you know, you can't address more than so it wasn't worth putting in more than 64k until you start doing tricks like the coco 3 did using memory management let's go to the next slide because i actually talk a little bit about that on the next one okay inside the cpu there are two accumulators that are 8-bit they're called A and B. And this is where you do most of your math. These are the things that you, you want to store stuff in and like that. And as I say, this is inside the CPU. In the and now, one trick that the 1609 does is it can take that 8-bit A and 8-bit B registers and combine them into one register called D register, which is 16 bits. They're not separate registers. They're, the D register is the A and B being combined together. And it, you, we use the term D to refer to the 16-bit version of those two being added together. Did that originally stand for double, for double size? Or? Yep. It seemed to be the most logical way to put it so us programmers would remember. Now you gotta remember way back in the day when these processors were being designed they were being designed for people that did assembly work because you know they would go to their bosses and say I like programming on this processor because it's nice it does the stuff easy and like that and so they would buy those processors to put in their equipment. Nowadays, the processors have gotten so complicated, very few people actually program in assembly on a modern, modern processor. You know, they'll program in C or some high-level language, and then it's compiled into the processor. But back in the day, you program assembly to get the efficiency of speed and power. And, and, and shrink code size, too, because you could do it much more efficiently than... Exactly. And so... Basically, that was the goal. Molroe was very good at designing their processors so that if somebody had to code an assembly, they actually enjoyed it, unlike the Intel. Because every time on the Intel processor you had a way to do something, you found it only worked with particular registers or particular situations. 
it's a little bit like English, uh, where you've got so many rules with so many exceptions to the rules. So where the mole roll processors were more streamlined, easier to code. If you could think about how to do something, you know, there was a pretty good way to do it. But the main thing to think about from this slide here is we're talking about the 8-bit accumulators that do the math, the heavy lifting when it comes to arithmetic. But they can be combined together, the A and B, to make a big D16-bit register. Next slide. Yeah, and this was a big advantage of the 6809 over the previous things like the, Z the Z80 and the, and the 6502 because they only had 8-bit registers, so you didn't have this nice shortcut. Well, actually, even the 8-bit registers, uh, like um, you know the original ADA processor, there was high and low and D and E. So you had 8-bit registers that could be used as 16-bit um, registers because you could take the HL and the DE and kind of combine two of them together and make a 16-bit register. So they weren't quite the first people to do it, but those. No, were I just meant compared to the, the 6502 and the yeah the Z80, which were more yeah, common. Yeah, the 6502. Its only 16-bit register is the program counter. Everything is 8-bit. They wanted to make the chip cheap, and they did. Anyways, um, now we have the 16-bit registers on the uh, 6809. They're X, Y, U, and S, and PC. And basically, X and Y are standard pointers. The U is known as user stack, but it can be used as a regular pointer, 16-bit pointer. And, of course, S is the main stack or the system stack and um, they can point to any single byte of the 64k of memory and as I said before this is what causes the restriction of the cocoa not to be able to talk to more than 64k of RAM without extra hardware like a memory management unit and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in another segment. <laughs> um, you can also do limited math on the uh, X, Y, U, and S registers too. So you're not hanged out to dry where you have to do all the math in the um, A and B registers or the D register. You can also do some limited math in the X, Y, U, and S registers. And most of the math that you do is usually trying to figure out how to point to something. Because that's the goal, is these registers are used to point to memory. Yeah. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And they're known as index registers because that's a common use, is that you, you have a pointer to the start of a table of data, and then you index in, I want the fifth entry or the 25th entry or, or whatever. And we're definitely going to be going into a lot of that later, how we can use these pointers to create structured um, data blocks of information to make uh, the coding very, very efficient. Now, on this slide here, and I know it's a little difficult to see, is how the registers are put together. Let's take a look at the very top. We have the A register and the B register. 
Now, the D register kind of looks like it's a dip register. It is not. It's the A and B combined together into a 16-bit register. And you can see that the zero that's on the right side represents the lowest bit. And Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then over on the uh, left-hand side, that's the highest bit. So, you know, you, you have your choice. You can work with 8-bit numbers, and you can work with 16-bit numbers very easily. And why, you know, you may ask yourself, why would you want to work only with 8-bit numbers? Well, if you only need an 8-bit answer, it's much faster because you don't need to do as much processing, loading of data. The data tables are smaller. But when you have, so if you can deal with from 0 to 255 as your answer, 8-bit registers are great. And that's what you use them for. And by the way, memory is only 8-bit. So if you can keep it to an 8-bit answer, things are much faster. But you've got the beauty of going to 16-bits option if you want. Now below that, you can see the different index registers. Uh, X and Y index, along with the user stack. And then you have the... Uh, system stack for uh, storing information. And we'll go through specifically what these all represent later. Because I could really okay. confuse you by what's going on <laughs> with things like the next one down, which is the direct page register. And it's basically a way to access memory in shorthand. It saves time it and saves data MSP. and makes the code smaller. It takes the MSB and, and uh, instead of you having to have a 16-bit address, it takes the MSB for you. And that's something that we definitely want to cover in a later lesson. We don't want to overdo it today. Okay. Um, the program counter, well, that's the thing that points to memory of the code that you're running. And that's a key to most processors. Almost every processor has some sort of program counter because you need to know where your instruction is. Yeah, and I, I would say like the way I learned how the, what the program counter does is it's basically kind of the same as a well, not quite the same, but it, it's a similar concept as line numbers in BASIC. Exactly. So if you want to jump to an address, it's like jumping to a line number in BASIC. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's an actual location in memory, yeah. though. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And here's the thing that will confuse a lot of folks. The next one, the CC register, or known as the condition code register. This is inside the processor. There's different states of the machine. Uh, there's answers to the mathematics that you're doing. Like, is the number that I just worked on zero? Is that, Was there a problem? Did I go over 255 when I did the math. So these are bits that help you understand that you had a little problem. So, and some other information about interrupts and did the entire state of the machine get saved? And these are definitely features that we will cover in a later lesson. And as I recall, that's the final slide. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. Now, the question I got for the panel 
especially those folks that don't code that often. What did I make muddy? <laughs> this is for uh, Steve and Ron. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah I, I have a question. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> when you jump in and start um, programming, why wouldn't you program then in 16 bits and forget the 8-bit part and just do it all in 16 bits and it's faster and you're done? Well, as I said while you were out, uh, it takes more memory and more time to do 16-bit because Why you have to load there? up two you have to load up two bytes so it's only there for difficult parts so that it'll be, go faster or? it's there to help you when you have to do better answers than something from 0 to 255 if you need a number that's much larger 256 and beyond you're definitely going to use 16-bit uh, accumulator to do the math and when you do that, that means that when you go to save your answer, you're saving it in two bytes, not one. So your, da your data becomes twice as large. It takes longer to access the memory because you're now having to load or save two bytes instead of one. Yeah. And you have to remember the 609 is technically as far as its data goes. It's an 8-bit CPU. So if you're storing an 8-bit value into memory, it takes one CPU cycle to plop whatever you're putting into memory or loading it back out. If you're doing 16 bits, it takes two cycles because it does 8 bits the first time, 8 bits the second time, which means any of your 16-bit stuff you're doing is actually going to take an extra CPU cycle. So, so that means literally twice as long. Right. Yeah. So how does that compare to another processor that doesn't have that 16-bit? Like the 6502? Yeah, for instance. Well, if you're trying to do something where you're going to be pointing to memory, remember that pointer has to be 16 bits. Well, it's going to have to do a couple of loads from memory to point to that pointer. And with their 8-bit register, they just add from 0 to 255 to it, whatever's stored in that 8-bit register. And so it's, it's more work. It's yes. more work. But it makes the the CPU easier to build and cheaper and that's why Steve jo Steve Wozniak used it for the Apple they gave him one at a convention and the chip at the time was only $40 where most of the other chips were running about 100 so that's that's part of the thing is savings Molroll was very smart when they came up with the CPU they knew that this was going to be used in smaller machines, controllers, um, uh, small personal computer, and like that. And this meant 8-bit. But you wanted to be able to do some heavy lifting, so you had to have 16-bit. Because that's something that the 6802 series chips, like what are used in the MC10, does not have. It's got some pointers that are 16-bit, but the arithmetic units, they're just 8-bit. You can't put them together for 16-bit. So, the 68,000 chip then will process in one cycle 16 bits each time. Like 16 the, over 32. It depends on which variant of the 68,000. Yeah, the later There's, ones were full 32-bit chips, so... 
Yeah, the modern computers, they're 64-bit. And they can, but they also have very wide memory. See, that's part of the thing. The 6809 only has an 8-bit wide data bus to talk to memory. In other words, bytes have to be 8 bits. In the case of modern machines, the bytes are, you know, 64 bits. And they actually really lay them out so they're 128 bits. So they can bring in a lot of information in one clock a clock axis. But back in the day when these, you know, back in the 80s, you know, having a 16-bit um, thing was very expensive. 16-bit bus. That's why Intel, when they came out with their 8086, which was a 16-bit CPU, they came out with the 8088, which got used quite a bit because its data bus was only 8 bits. And that's what IBM chose for the original PC because yep. they could use 8-bit support chips instead of have to make the jump to 16. And I programmed on some of those early IBM machines, and I could make the Cocoa run faster. Wow. Because part of it was accessing this information. <laughs> Bruce is asking who's running the vacuum cleaner in the background. Now, there's definitely some background noise somewhere. I'm not sure where it's coming it from. Me. <laughs> I think so, I think it's our um, friend in Europe. Don't blame my laptop. <laughs> Overheating. Oh your oh the laptop fan, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So the mystery has been solved. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, the, the 6803 does not have. Oh, it does have a D register. Oh, okay. A 16 bit D register. Okay. I stand corrected. It's got X. Okay. X I, the, yeah, the 6800-6802, which I'm more familiar with. No, they did not have a 16-bit accumulator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the MC10 has got a D register. Mm-hmm. It does. So I, I don't want. I know this is an introduction, and we're just trying to cover some basics of you know what is binary, what is, uh, what is a bit, what is a nibble, what is hex, uh, the concept of the register. I, I understand the concept of the register, but now, without getting too technical. How do you actually access this A register and B register? Is that through assembly commands? Is it is exactly A register? Right. A, is it a fixed location in memory that you could effectively peek and poke into? Well, that's the thing. Is uh, the beauty is these registers are inside the CPU. So to, they're inside the CPU. So, so it, it's not in memory. It's not in memory. So they don't have to spend time accessing memory to get their information. They're already there. <laughs> Okay. I hear somebody laughing back there. So the A register and the B register, the combined D register, that's all stuff that you're literally looking into the CPU itself. Right. Same you're with X, Y, U, S, C, C, D, all of them. So all these things here are basically effectively... So the CPU has its own internal RAM, then, these registers. They're, 
That kind this of, is yeah. stuff that's stored in it. All right. So I'm I'm looking at a location inside. Literally, it's like it's like if this was an EEPROM. You're peeling back the sticker. You're looking through the window, and you're looking inside that 6809, and you're seeing some numbers inside yep. it. You're seeing either eight bits for A, eight bits for B, or sixteen bits for for D. So your Alpha Bravo Delta right there. Mm-hmm. You see those, um, and 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 we're not, probably not going to cover that today. But you actually use that A and B to do math. You're also saying too, right? So whatever's in A can be used to add to something that's in B or whatever. And we won't get into that today. Uh, I'm just trying to apply what you're saying in some tangible form in my brain here. Um, so everything you've talked about in the t- in the term of register, registers live in the processor, not out there in RAM. Yeah, exactly. When you um, when you turn the computer on. Um, is there random stuff in all the memory? It depends on the memory, but m- most cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, when when I um, put a picture on that um, um, high screen program, the um, picture that comes up first before it starts doing something with the uh, bits right, and bytes right. is always the same. And there's blocks of clear area there's a line that goes across and then um everything starts getting changed but that screen just before everything starts working is always the same so it's it's like a blank graphics uh representation of what's there all you're doing is you're showing the screen before it got initialized however Mm -hmm. the memory came up that's how it came up so but that's not part of our subject for today right okay one, one thing that one thing that um which will probably de- be described uh, in the next session is that we've talked about the registers and, and all that that are built into the cpu and what they do and all that but the other thing we should clarify right now is that the cpu also has a language of its own uh, like various mm-hmm. instructions a lot of those numbers mean something to it and a lot of those instructions are things like load A, LDA, or STA, store A. And there's a whole bunch of those commands. And you use the commands then to tell the CPU how to manipulate the registers and how to manipulate the memory. And that will be something, I guess, that um, will be described in the next chapter. Yep. Yeah. In other words, yeah. it's it's not just the registers and that's it. There are instructions right. that they represent as well, and that that's where that's assembly language. That's learning yeah. all those instructions and how to put them together. That but, will then allow you to play with those registers and that memory and the mm-hmm. I/O that each machine would provide, like the video memory, the sound, all that. That's where it all. So uh, once you learn this stuff, you realize just how slow BASIC is because BASIC is uh, another layer doing the same stuff. But yeah, so basic, <laughs> BASIC is also general purpose. When you, uh, yeah, like for example, the numbers in BASIC, they're floating point. And as I was saying earlier, floating point math, you know, what we're used to when we uh, do uh, 37 divided by 16 on a calculator is, you know, something, something, point, something, something, something. 
that's hard for these CPU to deal with. They have to translate it from this real number or floating point into the different elements of the integer math, do the calculations, and send it out. By the way, there's addition and subtraction in the CPU, a very limited multiply. There is no divide. So it has to go through. And remember when they said, okay, divide this number by this number and show your math? And you had that big Show thing. your work. Yeah, right? and it came down. <laughs> Unless you have a 6309. <laughs> it's, um, that's the thing, is it's doing all that work. So every time you use a number, this is one of the reasons why basic is slower. It's doing all these translations to work with the number. It's and just like Ron said, it's an extra layer on top. I mean, you've got yeah, it's, it's a, basic code getting translated into machine mm -hmm. code. And it's mm -hmm. on, on basic's case, because it's an interpreter, it keeps redoing this over and over again, even for the same statements. And yeah. it has to do this every time, whereas if you'd write it in native assembly, you can skip all that stuff and just do it yourself. And, yeah. and uh, it's, 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 yeah. Do not sorry. think of it as like a cake that has a layer, a thin layer of icing on it. No, no, no. We're talking about layers as in a really thick piece of lasagna, and it just builds right up. There's so much stuff that's going on in basic because they want to be everything to everybody and they want it to be simple for the average person it's got lots of layers and you mm -hmm. have to go and sometimes when you cut that lasagna you really got to work at it it's in, yeah. it's important to also mention that the processor or the computer itself really doesn't know anything else but machine language it, it can only really understand a machine language or uh, assembly language, let's say. Um, it, it doesn't know BASIC, it doesn't know Pascal, it doesn't know Java and all that stuff. It, BASIC is another machine language pro program that is running on the computer that does all that interpreting so that the human can talk in BASIC, the interpreter, machine language program, the BASIC interpreter written in machine language it then interprets the human language. So, yeah, it, it, it sits sandwiched like um, um, we were just saying there. That it, it's, it's a layer or, or it's a lasagna in between the human and the CPU. So Now, uh, what about C? Where does C fit? And, C is like well, basic, right? Sort of? Kind no. Of. Not quite, yeah. Yeah, but I'll that's getting off topic there, Ron. Yeah. Let's stay on topic. Uh, uh, so I have a question. Picture. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question that uh, Nick just kind of brought up. Is assembly language and machine language, are they the same thing or are they different? Uh, they, yes they, and no. Yeah. Oh, they, are, they are different. <laughs> Weren't you yeah, on our After Dark where we talked about this, Grant? <laughs> I don't know if I was or not. You were. It, it, was, is a good it was last Saturday. There it's a is good question. a difference. So, yeah. You don't call yeah, one the other. Assembly, you write your program in something that will convert it 
into machine language. When you do machine language, you're actually putting down the instructions and doing all the little calculations like, okay, I've got a branch. I have to calculate where I'm branching to and write that number in. So these assembler programs do make it easier to write the assembly language, hence write the, um, the machine code that it's going to run. So you don't have to sit there and say where to run. You know, like in basic, you say, go to line 100, and it goes down line 100. But it figures out how far it is down to line 100. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's uh, part of the... Assembly language is the English translation of all the machine language codes. Uh, you can either just sit there and write the numbers directly, but that is, you know, very hard to do. I mean, I remember pe- there were some people that used to program just in machine language, and it was just numbers. And uh, most, most mortal humans can't do that. Um, but assembly language is a way of interpreting or uh, um, showing those numbers as a word, almost as a word. So where you say load A with the number 5, that would represent you know, a, a string of, say, two numbers. One number represents the load A instruction. The second number will be the number 5. So the CPU knows it's, it's got to load the A register with the number 5, but the human wouldn't. To make it easier for the human to understand, we use the assembly language uh, uh, translation of that same instruction. So it, it, is a, it is machine language, but it's not directly machine language. It's the English translation of that machine language code. Yeah, because if you were doing strictly machine language, you would just be dealing with numbers. Like in the case That's that right. Nick did of a load A with 5, that would be an 8-6 hex, which is a load A immediate instruction, and then 0-5. But then you have to memorize all these stupid codes and try to figure and them some, out. And some instructions take more than two two bytes, you know. You oh, might yeah. be a string of four or six numbers to do one instruction. So it's much easier to just write the one instruction in a more English-like uh, language, which is, I guess, the assembly language. Yeah. And what's a good assembler to use for a uh, new person? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll it depends on that. a few things. Yeah, we'll be covering that later. We're going through and we're looking yeah. at what's going to be the best option as far as price and ease of use. Okay. Baby steps. All right. All right. Now, I'm. I'm somewhat fortunate in the fact that I understand binary, at least 8-bit binary. I also, to a lesser degree, understand hex. Um, so the concept of the 0101, how that translates from binary to decimal to hex, uh, I'm familiar with that. I, I, you know, I, through osmosis, learned it using the cocoa, even in basic, um, because things like trying to peek the screen. You know, if you needed to put something on the screen, you needed to know what character was on the screen. I always remembered the letter A was 65 decimal. You know, 65 was A, 66 was B. These were bytes, and we're peeking and pulling bytes off the screen. So um, while not knowing it at the molecular level, uh, I understood decimal, I understood binary, and um, and, and hex. Uh, And and since I've been teaching, like, uh, subnetting and, and 
TCP IP, like IP version four is a 32 bit number that we break into four groups of eight bits. I've been having to teach this for years, so I understand it, but I don't necessarily think fluently that way, but I at least understand it conceptually. So for me, that's not a new concept, but it was still good to see it put there in the forms of slides. And, I'm, and I don't know that everybody knows that either. So um, I think this is a great, good introduction and um, I've enjoyed it so far. Um, yeah, I'm, lo I'm looking def definitely looking forward to more of these. Yeah, um, and 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 I've always heard the word you know register. You got to go to this register, but um, you know you now this is the first time I've actually grasped it, and maybe it's been implied, but I didn't grasp it. But now I understand that a register is actually something internal in the CPU. So I I gleaned something there that way too. So um, that's what that's what this that's what this hopefully this little segment will do is to help everybody who's not already fluent in this you know latch on to a little sliver of knowledge uh, each time you know hey now i remember uh, back in the day when uh, magazines came out with um unraveling the roms you know and explain or laying out what everything was um explain um that was kind of like important in the day back in the day so that people could machine language or no it was more to explain how the ROMs, like the ROMs are written in machine language. So basically those unraveled books were basically showing you the source code of the actual ROM itself for color basic. So you could actually so learn you how could basic go back and, and start picking certain things out. And yeah, you'd understand how it works. You may understand how to hook into it and call it from your own programs. If you didn't want to write a floating point routine yourself, you could figure out where in the ROM to go type thing like we were discussing earlier. But those are basically, they're called disassemblies. They're um, kind of the reverse of assembly. It's taking the machine code, the raw numbers, and converting it back to the English type thing that, in, that Nick was talking about earlier. Yeah, I'll, I'll, mention, I'll mention one other thing. Like if, if, if people have any troubles understanding how, how bits work, you know, like the you know, one, two, four, eight. I found it easy when I first started. The P-Mode 4 graphics screen actually does one pixel per bit. So you can poke values mm -hmm. onto the high-res screen. You can see exactly where the bits move when you poke higher values. You can see if you go one, two, four, you'll see the pixel move to the left one at a time as you go up powers of two. That helped me visualize it a lot better than me trying to just do it on paper. I don't know if that helps somebody right, else, but right. that might be something to show in a future future show just to people have yeah. a visual representation of exactly how that works. Well, I just want to say uh, I was able to uh, understand this and... Uh, I want to say thanks, Steve. I think that helped a uh, helps a lot. If the rest of them are this easy, we're in good shape. <laughs> we're well, that's on in no time. <laughs> that's that's the goal. We're going to take it in small, little, easy steps that you can absorb. Because I don't want to do the typical thing that David does and just blow Stevie's mind. <laughs> I think he takes a, a, a pride in doing that himself. Uh, David does. <laughs> So I think the uh, the reactions, uh, I, there's been a whole sidebar conversation going on by people who I think already speak assembly, and they're speaking assembly to each other in the chat, and that's fine. But um, fast-forwarding towards the end of that, um, we have Nick Morota saying, uh, it's good to understand what computers are doing under the hood. Paul Thayer says, great intro, perfect content for the first discussion. It's sometimes hard to keep this simple. But understanding the foundation is key to the rest of programming. Um, Paul Thayer says it's especially good to understand what's going on under the hood when you start to simulate 
when you start to simulate brain neurons like they are now, or maybe you might stimulate there. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's, it's good. Um, and, uh, we've got a lot, this is what, this is what's great about this panel and this community. There's a lot of, um, knowledge and expertise here. And, um, this is not the first time assembly language has been discussed in the community. There's a lot of people who have been blogging, um, you know, um, Glenn Hewlett's been blogging on, on assembly and optimizing assembly. And now Paul Thayer has, and, you know, so it's great. The information's out there in a lot of different forms, but for me, I like to see it and I like to hear it. So the bit to be able to follow some bullet points and hear somebody explain it to me, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's nice sometimes to have your information spoon fed to you, mm -hmm. you know, so this is, this is working for me so far. Well, Steve, one thing I just <laughs> wanted to add, this is not my first time doing something like this. I have taught assembly language, uh, at UCLA and at corporate, uh, places mm -hmm. where they've had me come in and explain to their people proper techniques. And yeah, we spend about, um, a week to two weeks just going over some of the initial work and when they walk out they go it's not that hard i go yeah <laughs> you just do it in baby steps yeah yeah so it's all relative i suppose you know um good so uh so what's on tap for next week <laughs> we'll have to wait and see uh good 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 everybody good with that so far Mm. All right. Um, uh, somebody's trying to call in the wrong thing. Okay. I'm not sure who's trying to call right now or if our Skype engineer Jim Gary can maybe looks check like on that. Oh, is that Jim Gary? Uh, all right. So, <laughs> Paul Thera says, baby steps in self-modifying code. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Thera, you've been learning from a bad influence, sir. You've been listening to the madman too long. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a commercial break, and then we'll be back. And then I believe uh, we have, I don't know what you want to do first. If we want to do the Why Did Tandy Do That? Or we want to do Ron's Garage is going to bring us a segment where we talk about stuff from Coco Magazines of the past. So um, I guess we can decide that when we come back from our brief commercial break. I'm going to refill my beverage, so I'll be back in about a minute and a half. See you guys then. Hi, I'm Kieran Anscombe, author of XROR, and your brain is resolving sensory input into the Cocoa Talk. And now, these messages. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon Computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on and drop by our website and download our latest games. What's going on everybody, Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you. But this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you.
Computer shopping has never been better at Radio Shack. Here's proof. Our new ultra-high-performance 386SX 20 megahertz computer with 85 megabyte hard drive, only $12.99. And it's from Tandy, manufacturer of the best-selling PC compatibles in America. Or get a 286-based Tandy home office computer with color monitor and hard drive, only $899.95. Shop your friendly nearby Radio Shack. Great selection, superior service. Nobody compares. That's right. When it comes to Radio Shack, nobody compares. And I just want to say real quick, I want to do a um, product placement here. I'm not getting endorsed for this, but um, I want to show you what I'm snacking on right now. Although my software is um, frozen. There we go. So this is um, this is a Twizzler, and it's a key lime pie flavored Twizzler. And it's even got like something stuffed in the middle that's supposed to be like maybe pie crust dust or something like that. I don't know. But it's pretty good. I've found this on accident and I love I don't know if you if anybody's ever had a key lime pie before. It's uh maybe it's a Florida thing, but this is a key lime pie flavored Twizzler. And it's freaking delicious. And um hey we've been joined by Jim Gary. How are you, Jimmy? Hi. Mr Mr. James Gary, how are you? Good thanks. Jim's fine. Um Jim's fine. And um yeah, you were with us in After Dark um last saturday night too so thanks for making some more appearances glad to have you here it's lots of fun yes yes so did you catch any of our assembly discussions sorry i just got back and home from uh, errands and stuff so all right we're just gonna start over steve uh steve you ready we're gonna take it from the top (laughs) oh great fun everybody loved that (laughs) yeah so um for those who have never seen jim gary live and in person before. He is an actual human being. He's not part of an artificial intelligent neural network of computer systems that cranks out software at the speed of, uh, of electricity. Um, and he's here. So, excellent. Yeah, so Paul Thayer says, sweet. Sweet games, Jim. All right. So, um, <laughs> coming today. <laughs> so, Ron Garage, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna switch over to a little cool little piece of artwork here. That our um, resident graphic artist here has produced for us. Um, now that's the wrong one. Hold on. Let me find the other one here. It's this one here. Let's play some Curtis Boyle random music clip here. All right. So this is a new segment that Ron suggested when we were saying, "Hey, let's have a discussion." To talk about things to talk about, because we're always hurting for discussion topics here. And Ron says, hey, why don't we talk about some old magazine stuff? So, on that note, Ron has graciously um, decided to share some old color computer magazine stuff with us. So, take it away, Ron Devo. Well, I don't know how many of you guys have ever gotten each one of these magazines, or just maybe one, the rainbow. But... They're chuckloaded full of ads, which uh, I used to drool at when I was uh, young. I used to uh, stare at the um, Coco Max uh, ads. I was all excited about seeing those, and uh, and I, I always wanted to get that program. Eventually, I did, and I drew with it. It was fun. Anyway, um, each one of these programs uh, came out with disc and tape. And um, in our archive, there are plenty of um, programs that were, you know, accumulated from these magazines. I have um, a box full of 
77 um, of these magazines. Now, I wish I could move my uh, thing here. Uh, hot, hot Cocoa. Um, I kind of liked Hot Cocoa better than Color Computer, but Rainbow seemed to be the most um, prolific. Um, I have uh, 77 magazines laid out on the floor here. There they are. Wow. <laughs> tons and tons of magazines. You can take one a day, go through them, and enjoy yourself just uh, reading all of the different programs there were, different um, people writing in, um, you know, interesting hardware things. It was just tons of things. It, Christmas specials they had. Um, they came up with uh, stuff for going online, um, printing, you know, printing routines. Everything you could think of is in this sector. But anyways, Ron, did you have any <clears throat> color computer news or... No. Thank you. Nope. This is these are the three that pretty much I collected. Now this is one box that I have. The other box I have has uh, just rainbow in them, and I haven't even brought that out and looked at them yet. But um, uh, what I I always used to do is um, go through the magazine and pick something and try and um, type it into my computer. This is way back before I even I had disk drive but i type it in save it off on tape but i change it to my own little thing you know put my own name on it you know <laughs> and um i wound up doing the same thing more recently um by uh um let me see if i can get back how do i get back <clears throat> there. I'm gonna play some music for you while uh, I'm back. Ron Delvaux tries to get back. Yeah, back. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I got, I don't know if you can see this. Can you see my uh, typing here? <clears throat> I can see right now okay. your computer screen. I go down Coco to SDC. Uh, um, my magazines. Go to uh, Rainbow to disc and to 1990 oh so the actual rainbow on disc files are yeah. each one of these are, those are all on the archive yep so i go down to 1992 a and i picked marquee three and this is a program that did this ah yeah i remember you showing this yeah. off recently too so what I did was film um, Bernico. You remember his, uh, seeing his name in the magazines? No. I um, took this and uh, adapted it. And now what I'll do is reboot and show you how I merged it. Right. So what what he did is he just put in two colors and just alternated the palette so it looked like they were going around. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah. and this reminds me own. of the DataSoft marquees, yes. but they were a little bit more colorful. Stole it, so. put my text in there and uh, made it my <laughs> Max Dallas operating in, system. Uh, um, the ID program, so it would tell which uh, CPUs installed. Yeah. And okay, sixty three hundred nine is installed. Yeah, and it comes okay. up with the uh, SDC program. So that's boom. Yeah. So this is an example of taking a magazine um, disc, looking through, finding something you wanted to 
use and make it yours. And that's yeah, what I had for you. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, no, that's really cool. Uh, I know a lot of people. I've heard this mentioned a lot. I heard I, a lot of people say, "Yeah, I used to do the type ins," you know, because that was a that was a big thing that. They were either printed in a magazine or printed in a book, and then somebody would just take those programs and, and type, you know, years before we had optical character recognition where we could just copy and paste them in. We actually had to hunt and peck on the keyboard and type away what was on there. And um, because I'm going through the basic series now, or and I even tried, I tried to copy and paste because it's been OCR'd, but it's an OCR of a line printer thing. And so it, it, it usually I get like 5% usable stuff from the <laughs> <laughs> being and pasting from the PDF files, I have to type them in. But I actually did notice, uh, even in the in the in the extended basic book I'm working with, that there are mistakes in the book in their code. Or there was one of them; they actually missed an entire line. Oh. And I think it was I think it was on chapter 29 where we're doing these three dimensional arrays and we're doing a loop within a loop within a loop, and they forgot to close the main loop in the program, and it wasn't there. But I was following along enough where I realized what was missing. Uh, knock on wood, I was able to figure out. But if I didn't know what I was doing and I was just typing things in arbitrarily and it didn't work, you know, that becomes a problem. Yeah. Hey, I, I punched in what the screen said. Why is it not working? And if you literally don't understand the language and it's a problem, but I suppose that's another way to learn, right? You start by typing in somebody else's program and then you troubleshoot your own mistakes or mistakes in the printing or something like that, right? Yeah. So, Well, the next thing um, is uh, to go in there and change the H color stuff which I'm not really familiar with, but what the heck, I'll go uh, in there and change some values and see what happens. And, yeah, and, play yeah, around. Right? And that's how you learn stuff, right? Yeah, Except no doubt. It's not as, machine no, language. As David says, you learn by breaking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The well, other, in that the, case, David should be a genius by now. <laughs> yeah. In the case of this uh, thing I made, um, I have a backup chip which doesn't have that program in it. And it's nice to if you're showing somebody the com computer for the first time and they see the opening thing and it looks cool. But then yeah. if you're having to actually do stuff, it's a pain in the butt. So I have to hit break and have it run the S SCDX program. So it's yeah. quick because <laughs> otherwise it's a pain. It's just like having <laughs> a, a, you know, a, a Windows machine boot up you know, having to restart it every time and waiting for the screen to come up. You know, with our machine, though, fortunately, it's just almost instantaneous, ready ready for work. Yeah, yeah. By the way, oh, so speaking of problems with articles, you know, the type it in type stuff, I guess people were getting so used to it. I had put some code in an article I wrote, and I started getting phone calls because Rainbow decided to publish my phone number. Oh. <laughs> I told him not to. Oh, was, but they, was it was it eight six seven five three oh nine? There you go. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I kept getting these phone calls. So I'm telling people tell me, your program won't work. I go, have you tried it? <laughs> and he goes, No, because I look over every program before I type it in because I've gotten so many that, that haven't worked. And I said, oh, well, what's not going to work? Oh, you use the letter D when you used wanted to use the letter R for the random access command. 
Well, D is the same thing. It's direct access. And, you know, he goes, no, it's not going to work. I'm going, try it. It'll work. I don't want to type this whole th thing in, and it's not going to work. And I finally just told him, just write a little program using it. Or take a program that's using the letter R and change it to D and see if it won't work still. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know like... Just, Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I know Rainbow actually made the uh, Rainbow Check program, which is a little program you typed in ahead of time. And then as you were typing in your source listings, you'd run this little checker against it, and it'd have a little code, and you have to make sure it matched. If it didn't match, you know you had a typing mistake in you know the last 10 lines, whatever it is. And you actually would go through it. It would help you catch mistakes as you were typing programs. And I used to use that a lot in the early days. Is that like yeah. a checksum or something they call it? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, but it's just like... Okay, they make a lot of errors when they print stuff because people were wary typing in the programs. Yeah, That's another yeah. thing that was in the magazines where um, you would see corrections. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> corrections, Last yeah. month we screwed this yeah, up and lost these five when, um, What? When we, in, when we interviewed uh, the guys from the image producers, um, uh, what, what was Al's name? Um uh, I don't remember all the names of the uh, the image producer guys, but he had written a really complex uh, uh, example of programs that was published. And then the publishers did their own editing, yeah. and they edited the programming language because they didn't speak the language. He goes, "No, this doesn't look right. I need to, you know, I need to, you know, make you know make this look where it looks right to me, the human." And they had actually changed his programs that actually got published because an editor said, "This is hey, this this looks better for whatever this is reason." Better so, English. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's somebody trying to keep their job by showing they work on everything, even the yeah, code. Yeah. <laughs> we can value add to anything. Yeah. So um, that starts to become, but but that's that also opened up the market of like rainbow on tape and rainbow on disc yeah. because um, you know for those who don't want to type. You know, if you've got enough money, you know, yeah. <laughs> the old pro, you know, uh, you you could buy your way out of that assignment. <laughs> yeah, I even had one I, person I, call me up. Says, "I know I can buy it on Rainbow on tape. Can I just send you half the amount of money and you send me a floppy disk?" Kind <laughs> <laughs> of going, uh, no. It wouldn't even cover the postage. Wow. Uh, everybody's looking for a bargain, right? Hey, Rick Adams is here. Hello, Rick. Crickets. Thank you. Yeah, you I'm, can. I'm here some. I'm here someplace. <laughs> okay, how are you, Rick? Oh, I'm okay. Nothing much to report. We. Okay, we talked about assembly. Yeah, I heard that. Are you Are you familiar with the A register, the B register, and the D register? Oh yes. All right. Well, good. Now you're all caught up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, excellent. Uh, very, very cool. Thank. You. That's that's a great. Um, it's a great starting point there, Ron. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for taking yeah, on. If you guys uh, get that, a chance uh, and you see stuff in the magazine, we'll throw up this uh, um, picture that I made up of um, the magazines, and then you uh, have your spot. We we'll have wonderful music on. <laughs> um yeah no cool so yeah we can 
We can find, yeah, because I know Bruce had posted one in Discord where somebody mentioned that you could do a poke if you wanted to keep the orange color set. You know how you can do like screen zero comma one in the text yep. screen and, and it would change from the green background to kind of the peach color. Um, but in normal basic, it wouldn't stay that way. But there was a poke you could do to get it to always have that screen mode. Do it. Because that was always a problem. <coughs> Without that poke, even just printing to the screen would break, would break the force field. So if you had the <laughs> orange force field on and the minute you went to print to that screen it went green again every time it printed so um we usually would do it behind the scenes fill in or at least when that's how i did a lot of stuff behind the scenes i would fill in the screen and then you know turn it on when it was done so you didn't see all the crap happening so but with those some some of those pokes um uh yeah and i don't remember where i found the pokes because i don't have any of my original programs but i remember finding pokes where when you went to paint in a circle it looked like wallpaper patterns like yeah. plaids and stripes and all kinds of weird stuff where it actually changed how paint worked and um and some of those patterns of just different thick and thin uh line colors just was really trippy looking like wallpaper stuff and so um uh, there were all kinds of um peaks and pokes and on if you've got the color computer with the uh different chip that supports the lowercase there's some things you can poke to turn on lowercase um so yeah so yeah that might be uh, that might be a cool little segment like the poke of the week, you know, the peak or poke of the week. And, hey, kids, try this one That's out. That's what she said. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, once I, once I got a peak, I had to give it a poke. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's lots of, uh, lots of possibilities there on, on things to do. I mean, that became a cottage um, industry. There was 500 poke peaks and execs for the Coco, and then part two, and then there was one for the Coco three. So there's there's a right. ton of those little tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. I have a question or uh, suggestion now that we've got Rick Adams here. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we Bruce, um, Bruce uh -oh. is gone. Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, just looking at Bruce's, um, Coco Forever, um, audio, uh, extravaganza he's doing, I was just thinking if we combine your son's artistic, uh, abilities, if he wants to do it, of course, uh, can he draw various scenes for Coco Forever? Um, just, Ooh. I don't know, sketch them up or something. I, I don't know how much time it takes to draw but he could probably have uh, like a slideshow so that not only are you listening to the coco forever um show or series uh, mm -hmm. you're looking yeah. at slides of 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 that series it's it's not animated but you know uh, like a, a, a graphic book graphic yeah novel or yeah so, kind of kind of like uh, uh, uh kind of bonus uh comic book right <laughs> Yeah, yeah sort of thing like that. I thought that would be a good touch to have uh, if you, mm -hmm. if your well, son somebody could ask him. But uh, yeah, uh, he's very independent, <laughs> so I don't have much you know control over that. Somebody might ask him. Uh, also, his yeah. his art style is more representational and artistic than it is um, like represent. You know, literal. It, it's not as representational. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not literal. Yeah. yeah, it's not literal. Yeah. It's very fanciful. So. Um, 
Yeah, and I and while I think that's a good idea, Nick, I also think that to some degree he does provide some of that in his bonus content where he's got a PDF here and there, and one of the Coco programs almost was a um, yeah, it's some digitized thing pictures you scrolled that. through. Like so, so there was actual Coco program that you could go through some some images on. Right. So, but here he is now, so uh -huh. now you can hear it from Bruce himself. So, hey, did you hear Bruce? Yeah, I think I caught that for the most part. Um, that's kind of like. Um, at the beginning of chapter books, sometimes you would have, you know, the opening chapter, and then someone would sketch a little scene, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. that the, yeah. That is a really neat idea. I think that would be... Do an art contest. I think that's a great idea. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, and then yeah. You, just, you just play a tone. When 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 the Coco makes a tone, it's time to turn the page. Yeah. <laughs> Semi graphics, free mode, pictures. Yeah. When you hear sound 100 comma 1, turn the page, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> Simon Jonasson's already got his SG Edit website, so we could have a uh, SG uh, SG image contest for Coco Forever and, you know, illustrate the scenes. Um, yeah, crowdsource yeah, it. Yeah, lots, lo lots of possibilities huh. there. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, Click on the graphic UK novel version idea. with the U in color. <laughs> <laughs> That was uh, Dick Adams' first order of business. Now that I am president, we're burning the letter U. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard to do. If he hand draws it on paper, you can just scan it on a on a, on a PC or a Mac, and then convert the pictures yeah. to you know downscale the pictures to a a P mode four with um, dithering, and they should look pretty good. Yeah, you use the yeah. Digisector. Yes. Yeah. Oh, not even that. No, you don't even need all that. You can just on a PC, you can just downscale it. I, mean, I use um, Roger Taylor's projector. It seems to work quite well. There is actually an episode, uh, end of episode seven, I think. There is actually a sketch of a scene in P mode four. I did actually put something together like that. So mm, there you go. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, there is a bit of that in the there. For the whole Create series. a list of scenes, and then people can, uh, yeah, use them as uh, topics or something. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like what? a bunch of work, though. <laughs> Does that mean you're not? Yeah, the problem becomes. You didn't hear me jump in. You you don't want to give away too many spoilers, so you don't want to tell people what's happening who haven't listened to the story, and you don't want to get ahead of the story. So no, no, for past uh, it have to be, it would have to be some insiders or for past episodes. How yeah, many digitized so. pictures of Stevie Stroh are there? <laughs> But <laughs> no. depends on what website you go. Oh have. Jesus! Oh. <laughs> and whether your content blockers are on or off. Yeah, so spooning Coco down. Cat is here. Who knows? Unless your spoon is spooning. <laughs> In a couple of years' time, we might even have a live-action version of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Stevie Stroll flip it cartoon book or something. No, forever. <laughs> Can't go forever. <laughs> I'm talking about. Yes, uh, Bruce. Yes, yes, yes. So, are you gonna are you gonna be selling a uh, t shirt? Uh, I was thinking about that again today. I, it might be time to get a, uh, a might be time to get a Coco Forever t shirt together. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, old Volkswagen on the front. Oh, I don't know. Mm, like maybe on the back. Maybe on the back. Actually, I was thinking maybe putting Forest of Doom on the back and Coco Forever in the front or something. I don't know. Something. Like we need we need uh, Tandy Towers on the front. Hmm. Good point. There's well, got to be many versions of this T-shirt, so you're gonna have to start a whole clothing line, apparently. So, uh, <laughs> um, matching socks and yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. All right, well, um, 
Did we take? We took a commercial break uh, after a little while ago, didn't we? Yeah. We, we did. We did. We did the Ron segment. Maybe we'll take one more break and then we'll get into why did Tandy do that? Sure. Sounds good. Is that yep. our next segment? Okay. Yeah, sure. So one more break and then we'll be back with why did. And in case you're not sure what we're going to be back with, here's a little teaser on that. After these words. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Cocoa Talk. We'll return after these announcements. I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. David Ladd. All right, well, we're back. Make sure you go out and get yourself one of those cocoa dews as soon as you can there. Yeah, I have um, a question just there with that last commercial. Yeah. That was a Tandy yes. commercial? Was that from Tandy in Canada? Probably Quebec, yeah. Quebec, yeah. Is that the first time Tandy have called the cocoa a cocoa? Yeah. I thought, yeah, because I, I, I don't recall ever them Tandy actually ever using that 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 term. Not not over here in Australia or. Well, they did or, here in or, Canada, actually. Yeah, but it, yeah, <coughs> I just noticed that's a Tandy one, and they're calling it a cocoa. I thought that's strange. Pretty anyway, amazing. Oh, crow, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Paul Thayer pointed out that I actually had the episode listed on YouTube as, ex- as episode 62, where technically it's episode 63. So we got that fixed, kids. So thank you for that, Paul, for letting me know. Um, a little bit earlier, too, I had a, uh, somebody watching us on Mixer. I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if you're still there, but Master Yoda 36269 said hello watching on Mixer because we are multicasting across the internet verses the multiverses of internet streaming services we are live on youtube we are uh, live on the coco tv channel on roku we're also i'm also simulcasting on twitch and mixer just because i can so um 
we now have an interesting um, segment that very much um, is a great kind of follow-up to our initial conversation on um, assembly, our, our, our earlier segment. So why don't we go ahead and officially bring in this fascinating graphics here. This is a professional show. So we've got graphics, we've got theme songs. So hold on one second. This is the question on everyone's mind right now. Tell me why did Andy do that? Sorry. Today, this week on Why Did Tandy Do That, what are the questions? <laughs> well, it's it's pretty much one question. When they came out with the Coco 3, we all knew it had 128K, twice what the uh, regular Coco did. But they also came out with a 512K upgrade. The question is, why didn't they do a full meg or two meg options? They stuck at the 512K and left it there. Yeah. Okay. Jim, just so you know, you're not muted. Jim Gary. So Sorry. we can hear you, but it's okay. All right. So the question was, Tandy's Color Computer 3 had a 512K option, and Tandy never offered any more upgrades than that. Why? Yeah. And they designed and the game anybody... MMU to only have 6 bits, so it only could go to 512K. If they just used the 8 bits, they could have went right up to 2 main. But the thing is, people are coming out with 2 meg and higher upgrades now why couldn't tandy have done that back in those days it would have been just too much money nobody was going to pay a thousand dollars for a two meg upgrade on a coco well, I'm I remember, when, when did distal come up with a one and two meg upgrades because they weren't that expensive and that was i think when this tandy was still being sold and i'm trying to remember did they actually sell distos upgrades through the express order well the um it was very much towards the end that they did that. But the thing is, you got to remember, they designed the Coco to do that. And you had new things as far as hardware to try and go up over. As you pointed out, the Gimme could only do 512K upgrade. It was designed for that. Of course, part of the reason why they designed it that way was they had to keep it cheap. Yeah. It's the same reason why PAL registers are only 6-bit. That's why we only have 64 colors, not 256 colors or 512. It's just, just they cost. have a lot. Yeah, it costs. Because, the, once again, the Coco 3 had to be designed to be manufactured for less than the cost of the Coco 2. That was the only way they got the rights to make it from upper management. And I think that's related to the, the question I kind of added on to that. Um, the MMU size on the Coco 3 is 8K, which is pretty coarse for a 64K <laughs> machine. You're only allowed eight blocks. A lot of the other OS9 Level 2, and this is speaking from an OS9 perspective, of course, a lot of the other uh, OS9 Level 2 machines from Gimmicks and Smoke Signal Chiefs and everybody else, they used 4K or 2K, which means you could mix and match you know, blocks and not use as much RAM. Like right now on OS9, to load a program, it's going to take 8K, whether your code's 8K or... You know, 15 mm -hmm. bytes long because it has to map in that entire block with a smaller block size you could have had a lot more room for data and you know not have to reserve 8k for the program minimum right and um it would have made it you know, a lot easier to deal with some of the stuff now even with an 8-bit 
um, MMU, you would have had to use less than two meg then if you were going to make it fit in one byte. You could have, like, if you had a 4K MMU block, you could fit a meg. If you had a, a 2K MMU block, it'd be 512K like it is now, but except you wouldn't be blowing as much RAM. So that was another question. Why didn't Tandy do that? Same answer as it, just about everything with Tandy is price. Right. Back in 1986, though, 512K was a lot of RAM. Remember, the Coco 3 came out with 128K of RAM, which was double what the Coco 2 had and you know, a lot and of other machines. Five, and the 512 was eight times what That's the, right. So what the original right. It was, was a big upgrade for the time. Right. Um, and as far as RAM goes, it's a nice number. Like, it's like, it's, you know, uh, I've doubled the number. But what also has to be factored in that I now realize, too, is that the size of graphic screens were bigger, too. So you go from a 6K screen to a 32K screen. Um, so that extra memory, uh, you almost don't really, you don't gain it because you've lost it to graphics to, to some degree. Yeah. Um, well, there's another thing, too, is the size of the floppy. Most people only had floppies. They didn't have hard drives. Uh, you had three times the amount of RAM than what you could store on floppy. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, and just and basic that's why was some of those games thirty-five track single-sided too. So yeah, that's why some of those games you had to load in more than one disc. Like even uh, I didn't think Contras about that because the disc, the, the, disc yeah. the disc only holds like one hundred and fifty k. And you've got more RAM than that. So if you need to load up all of your RAM from disk, you need more than one disk. Um, yeah, when I did Z89, it uses almost all of the 512K. And a lot of that was audio samples, graphics, but everything was extremely compressed on the floppy. So I could do one mm. floppy and s still fill up all the RAM yeah. with this stuff. When, when the designers you, when of this... When the designers of the 68 or 9 were asked, uh, you know, why didn't, you, why didn't you make it address more than 64K? They said, well, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for a $20 processor to address, you know, more than $10,000 worth of memory. Right. Which makes me smile. <laughs> well, this, look at the original IBM. They, the original machine was 64K. They thought we would never build a machine in the next 10 years that would have more than 10 times that amount of memory. memory. So uh, the machine... Okay, should be yeah, could, yeah, you could only put 640K in the machine, even though the processor could access a full megabyte of RAM. And, you know, IBM was fighting it. How many people here had an early PC and had special boots that modified high memory and other things? To try oh, and yeah. get games yeah. to run. High mem sys and yeah. EMM three eighty six, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, that was the challenge to that was the challenge to get that five hundred some odd K of conventional RAM. You had to squeeze your main program into that less than six hundred K of conventional RAM. Um, Plus drivers for your had sound a, card and yeah, all kinds of crap. Yeah, yeah. I, I had I had a multi boot config sys yeah. file that I would for different games I'd have to plus or minus different drivers just to squeeze the RAM in I needed. So in the good old days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they knew memory prices would drop, but they dropped a lot faster than what they imagined. And With by a the couple end of the, blips. Yeah. Oh, always the price was always the highest in late winter and the price was always the lowest 
about three weeks before tax season in America. Because all these people mm-hmm. had to sell off chips to make to pay the taxes on their windfalls from the prices going up. So I always wait until April to buy my memory. Well, I do remember uh, mm-hmm. this would have been the late 80s. There was a huge fire in Japan at one of the main chip manufacturing ram chip manufacturing plants, and right. it actually completely screwed up the market for months. Because I remember yep. Chris Burke brought out his quarter meg card because nobody could afford five 12k chips anymore, so he made a 256k card that would cost about as much as the original five 12ks did until <laughs> prices came back down after they repaired the plant and started manufacturing again. 87, yeah. 88. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, mm. yeah but during the earlier part. Of the 80s it was like it was all these people speculating on chips the way people speculate on pork rinds <laughs> yeah hey i want to say hi real quick to somebody in the chat and i don't know this person's real name but he's been watching and commenting on my basic videos a lot but we have dr x 0079 is here in the live chat He's also mentioning the um, the Bill Gates famous quote, which is uh, nobody would ever need more than 640k, right? So, um, uh, so Doctor X, thank you for watching my videos, and um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not good with putting screen names to real names. So if you wanna, if you're not in the witness protection program, you wanna tell us your real name, uh, stand up and take a bow. Um, you know, when you were when you were talking about those memory blocks, the 8k blocks or the 2k blocks. Um, um, it remind it reminds me of kind of like a file system, like a sector or a cluster. Like there's always a container size where no no matter what size the data is, we've got to come up with a package that we can handle to store this data despite its size. So is it similar concept yes. to that, and a similar application of that concept? Well, got to um, remember when I was talking earlier about the 6809, it can only access 64k, and that's mm-hmm. true. On really on the Coco 3 what they did is they had some hardware so that it said okay when you talk to this chunk of 8k mm-hmm. you can move it to anywhere in that 512k range right, so it's right. like a, you're it's like looking out a window see in your house you can only see out your windows and right, there's a limited right. number on the 6809 but the thing is you got a big world out there so you look through this yeah, window, yeah. you see that part of the outside world. You're kind of you're kind of panning through RAM. It's probably similar to like what a, a virtual memory swap file does, where you're ta- you're, you only got so much physical space, and you're swapping back and forth between different sections of information. Um, yeah. Similar concept, but this is happening electronically and not virtually. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and you're right. Okay. Sector size and cluster size and hard drive is the same type of thing, and the same same uh, issue, I guess, where if you have a 4K cluster. And you write a hello world into a text file that's like 10 bytes long, it's going to take 4K off your hard drive, even though it's only 4 bytes or 10 bytes. Mm-hmm. It's what we do to make the hardware work. Yep, yep. Now, the, so the MMU that's in the Coco 3, this MMU was pre-designed or specifically designed to handle these 8K chunks. Yep. And there's nothing you can do creatively to say, well, Tandy wants me to load an 8K, but, you know, screw Tandy, I'm going to, or, I mean, you have to load it no matter what, but if you don't need it all, you can just look at less, maybe to save cycles or something ah, like that, or. Here's the thing. If you can come up with a new gimme, it makes it so much easier to to do with all this stuff. <laughs> a forklift up, upgrade. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> just, we're going to yank out that old gimme. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm playing Linville's uh, video player. 
Yeah, we see and, that. Um, that's the MMU working, right? Yeah, no, no, yeah it's, no. it's a hand, Probably not. It's I think it's more streaming memory. to graphics and sound, if I remember. Right. It's pulling in yeah. from large amounts of data, but it's not what we're talking about. No. No. It was pretty cool. Uh, so the the the, the <laughs> MMU is how you how you address more RAM than the 64K that's yeah. directly addressable by the 16-bit register or whatever. To go with the house thing, say your window is looking at yeah. your 64K, the MMU is basically mm -hmm. taking your house, putting it on a flatbed truck, and driving it down a mile and looking out the window again. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. or or, or you're moving the windows. That's yeah. a better way to look at. It. You're moving that mm -hmm. 8K chunk of window to another spot so you can see a different area of your memory that's mm -hmm. outside. Right. Or it's kind of like panning through a microfiche, right? You can only see so much on the view exactly. screen, but the actual sheet is bigger, bigger and you're just kind of whirling it around through there, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're panning through a larger thing than what your, what your viewport is. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I get that. And, and but from what from what Curtis is saying, though, is that it's kind of it's good news, bad news. Yes, we can address more memory, but we're forced to address 8K when we don't always need to address 8K. Yeah. And most other um, six and nine systems that have MMUs did use smaller sizes. They usually used four or sometimes okay. two because it was just seemed to be a better balance. OK. Right. right. And is there was there any is there a performance benefit? This this was probably not performance driven. It was probably cost driven because it's Tandy. But are there performance benefits to different um, uh, block it, sizes or memory? It, it depends sizes? on what what you're doing. I mean, it's you can fit more RAM using a coarser one using less lines to control the MU, which is what Coco did. Mm -hmm. Um, you can use more efficiently your RAM if you're using smaller chunks because you don't have to allocate as much. And so it's it's more uh, efficiency than performance. Yeah. I mean, speed-wise, if you have, say, a 2K chunk, in which case instead of to fill your 64K space, instead of having 8, you need 4 times as many. So you need 32. So if you have to copy those over every time, if you're switching between different tasks, then it can be a bit slower. But also some of the higher-end hardware like gimmicks is they actually had multiple uh, task registers. The Coco has two. We have uh, the system task and then task one. And some of the other ones actually would have up to 256 of these, and it would instantly switch between them. And that's actually something Jim Gary's building into his Coco Mem board is he's going to be extending. Jim Brain. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Jim Brain. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jim uh, Gary there. I give you Too many gems. Um, <laughs> but basically, yeah, he's, he's actually allowing you to extend that so you can instantly switch by writing one byte as opposed to having to rewrite all the MMU registers every time you want to swap between. So you can instantly switch between multiple sets of these MMU registers, which will help speed things up quite a bit. Okay. Now, where is the state of the MMU stored now? How do you how do you read the MMU to know where you are in this big chunk of RAM? That's on the gimme chip. and It's in the gimme chip itself. Now, okay. when we get past 512K in the case of the Coco, the gimme registers that are built into the gimme itself for the MMU, the ones that handles up to 512K, are readable and writable. So you can change them, you can read back okay. what they are. So, so these are more registers, which is information inside a piece of hardware that's not RAM. Yeah. Now, the okay. five or the one meg and two meg upgrades by Disto and most of the compatible ones were write only. If you read it back, it only read back what the gimme reported, which didn't know about these extra bits. So it would report mm. back the wrong things. That's why things like King's Quest Three, the original versions from Sierra which cheated and actually read the gimme back, which technically you're not supposed to do in OS 9. You're supposed to let the operating system handle it. If you had a one or two meg machine in there, it would get back incorrect results. It would go, what MMU block is my screen at? Well, let's say you were happening to be running at 768K in a one meg disto board. The gimme would report that back as 256 meg. 
So then the program goes, well, we need to update the screen over here at the 256K mark. Well, that's not what you're actually looking at. It's actually at 768, yeah. so it'd screw up. Yeah. Hmm. Which I think, if I remember correctly, Jim's fixing that too. The read and write will work on the entire 2 meg. Okay. So, so anything beyond 512K, for the most part, is really advantageous to OS 9, but not necessarily advantageous to RS-DOS? No, or it, it, you can use an yeah. RS-DOS, and there were some programs that memory is Memory is memory. Yeah. Okay, right. so memory is memory. So if you can bang on that MMU and access memory bigger, so let's say we, we get 8 megs of RAM, all right? You could write an RS-DOS program, then you could load in 8 megs worth of data into RAM, and just pull it back and manage it and m manipulate it in 8K chunks. Yeah, it would take you about 80 floppies to load it all, but yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, or of course or the a hard, thing dri is, hard drive image off your Coco SDC. Yeah, of course, <laughs> we'll have to stay with the 8K chunks because yeah. everything on the Coco 3 was designed around that. Yep. We can add right. more so, memory. It's not going to affect it as long as when I'm writing my information out, to the memory management units or registers, um, they don't act differently than what my um, Arkanoid expected to see. Yeah. Okay. Now, how does I know this is now we're talking about the Cocoa and the Gimme and everything else, but how did something like the Apple II or the Apple II GS or something that had more than 64K of RAM, how did it access RAM? Did it need its own MMU equivalent? capacity or capability? Yes. Um, the Apple IIe and the Apple IIc actually have an MMU unit inside, and they have a way of okay. bank switching, basically, into 64K. Okay. Okay. And other companies yeah, made more memory up to actually 16 megabytes that could be switched the same way. You'd specify a bank number and it'd swap it in. Uh, the Apple okay. IIgs actually has a different chip. It has an 816-bit chip called 65816, which is capable of handling 16 uh, megabytes by itself, but Apple limited it to eight so it wouldn't compete with the Macintosh. <laughs> ah. And it uses yeah. a system that's kind of like the IBM, uh, or the, sorry, the 8086 uses where it has like a, a bank selector. So you'd specify a bank and then you have 64K access. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that in uh, like old GW basic. You had to like uh, do like a def seg, seg and define what segment you were going to pull from. Yep. yep. Um, now it, it should be mentioned the Coco 1 and 2 had a very coarse version of this in the SAM itself too. <clears throat> the SAM itself could directly access 96K, 32K of ROM, mm. and then two chunks of 32K of RAM. And some basic programs, I think it was called Key 264 or something like that, would actually let you run a 64K basic program because it would leave the ROM in the upper half and then swap the two 32K banks of RAM in the lower half, and you could actually have a program jumping back and forth between them. Neat. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was another weird thing, too, because like if you had a 64K Coco, and you were in basic, you never knew you had more than 32K, or you couldn't see it, right? Well, um, so, patching, exp yeah. so explain to me that 96K, so you had 32K of ROM. ROM. And then and I, but I two thought, banks of 32K of RAM as well. And you can map them whichever way you mm. want. You could have 32K RAM on the bottom half and 32K RAM on the top half. That's what 64K games like Sailor Man used. Or you could leave the ROM in there and have the two chunks of 32K RAM and swap them in and out. It's basically a 32K MMU, kind of. Hmm. Okay. We had a guy named uh, Antonio Eli um, on the Color Computer Coco Facebook group uh, uh -huh. said that he's watching Coco Talk Live, probably on 
either Roku or um, YouTube, but he put out. Oh, cool. Yeah, he posted that he was watching it. Oh, Which cool. Is cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah, that's 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 our that's our that's our SD pack guy. Oh. Antonio Antonio Jimenez. Okay. Yes. I think so. Is that Antonio yeah, Jimenez? But it's, he's got Eli as the last name. Okay. Yeah. Uh I, 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 I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. Um so so the question is and there, it's it doesn't matter cuz it's not going to change, but why 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 did why did Tandy not sell more than 512k? Probably just because it wasn't cost effective, and possibly at the time there probably wasn't as much of a demand for it. Maybe well, that, the OS nine people uh, would have liked it. I think the other thing is, is yeah. the same thing that Mark said about the two GS versus the Mac. It was the Tandy one thousand mm-hmm. versus the Coco. They didn't want the Coco so three up. So also, did, they didn't want to compete with that, yeah. right? Because yeah, technically, five twelve K is encroaching upon what the Tandy one thousand. I think my first Tandy one thousand only had like three hundred and eighty four K, or something like that. So if you start getting into a meg of RAM and uh, your basic DOS system's got maybe six hundred forty K, now on paper, this looks like a better system. Yeah, it's got a better spec. I, they right? didn't want to compete on RAM. Uh, they didn't want to give the extra palettes. We, like Steve said, we could have had two fifty-six color modes, which would have been beyond the ten D one thousand as well. So I, I think that was part mm-hmm. of it, not just the cost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ghost Lord on uh, Mixer says hello, hello, Ghost Lord. Yeah. So Nick Marota says I have a feeling that the answer Tell to me Is because they were cheap. (laughs) (laughs) You got to remember that Tandy's client wasn't the Coco user; it was Radio Shack stores. So they had Mm -hmm. to sell a product they could convince the Radio Shack stores to buy, and cheaper was always the target. Right, right, and and I'm trying to think i'm trying to apply some logic here too because um most of these advanced memory upgrades were pretty much mail order things the people who bought from mail order were more of the power user anyways they're basically saying i want more than the dingleberry at radio shack's going to be able to sell me anyways so um i'm going to go to you know birkenberg or disto or one of these people and i'm going to buy this you know eight cylinder you know power injector mopar engine yeah to make Ron to make Ron Delvo happy there, so uh, <laughs> the thing got a Hemi in it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the people who needed more, they went to the third parties anyways because they knew that's that's where you got the most bang for your buck anyways, probably right. So, um, well, you know, when I was at THQ uh, developing games there, um, you know, I, I said, well, I'm trying to fix this so that the gamer will enjoy the game better, mm-hmm. and the guy from marketing says. I don't give a crap about that because he's not our <laughs> our customer. Our customer is Sears, Toys R Us, Target. We have to develop yeah. the game for them. And one of the ways that we can get those stores to buy our games is to buy a license like the movie The Mask or Rocketeer mm-hmm. or whatever and develop the game around that because they'll recognize those titles They'll see the ads on TV. Oh, well, then this, this is going to sell much better mm-hmm. and like that. But yeah. it, it was at that time there I said, I'm out of here. They did not care, care at all about the gamer. Yeah. Is this, is this yeah. still that way today? Mm. Independence, no. They care about the gamer because they're usually 
selling through Steam or something like that. They're not selling through a store. So they're selling directly to the customer. Electronic Arts, I don't know. I I think and there's I think for in some cases now video games are kind of like movies now where they are becoming franchises. You do get a lot of sequels and just like some movies sometimes the sequels aren't as good as the original, sometimes they are, sometimes you know the shark got jumped, but um I I, I don't think any um real game studio could survive if they still weren't at the end of the day delivering some type of experience. Um, now, you know, one of the, I, I like the Tomb Raider franchise that I play on the modern systems, and they've done a really good job not only pushing the technology and the story, but the gameplay too. They continue to add more gameplay elements. So in that case here, I haven't been disappointed. I, I've played a few times a franchise called Assassin's Creed, and I haven't played them all, but I've heard a lot of people say some were better than others, and sometimes they just keep recycling things just to crank out another sequel. But, you know, um, it is a business, you know, and there are the AAA titles, there are the franchises where they're going to expect certain ones. Um, but gaming is big, right? So gaming is a big business, and as much as they are trying to, obviously they're in business to make money, I, I think there is emphasis on story, playability, um, character, uh, um, but, you know, uh, balancing how they can get it out and make a profit, too. But I think there is a little bit more emphasis on the end user's mm -hmm. enjoyment because we wouldn't keep coming back for those franchises if they just said, screw you guys, buy whatever crap we put in the box. You well, know? well the, that's the only thing, too, uh, too, is that um, there are companies making console games, and mm -hmm. a lot of the console games are now sold over the console. They're not sold. Yeah, digital. Yeah, they're not sold at the stores. They're not as much. And THQ had based so much of their market on selling to Sears and all these other outlets. Mm -hmm. When the market yeah. was drying up for them, they're no longer here. Right, right. That's that's a that's a game changer. It does make it, I suppose, more uh, less expensive to distribute, faster to distribute. But the one thing that I look at that we're not, you know, we're never going to have this thing like we could go back to a landfill and find E.T. on future games. You know, there's not going to be too much physical evidence of, of you know, when, when the Xbox One becomes a retro system 35 years from now, there's not that much even plastic disc for it anymore. How are you going to collect old cartridges? You know, they, you know so that's, that's the part that gets lost when, mm -hmm. you, when you go to this digital distribution, the... Um, the, the physical um, artifact history piece of it, you know? But it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's how it is. It's the nature of the beast, right? There is also a little difference, too, between the old days and the new ones. Old days, when you got the ROM done for that game, that was it. It was locked up. It was up. done. You, it was no, yeah. no updates, <laughs> no change. Rick, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah what are we but, talking about yeah <laughs> <laughs> getting it right the first time right oh yeah 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 distributing when you distribute a game on rom it's got to be bug free and and ready to go because that's the only version it's ever going to be right yeah, well they made me lot. put uh Just version one hello uh they made me put version 1.0.0 on temple of rom and i thought why <laughs> and then they said, "Oh, well, we may want to, you know, come up with an update someday." And I'm thinking, "Uh huh, <laughs> right, like that's going to happen." Yeah, 
Yeah. It had to be version 01.00.00. Now, what version are you for um, your latest game? Oh, I think I'm on uh, I think I'm about on about the third version now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the thing. In the modern day, we have updates, and mm-hmm. actually, that's the thing is companies are now shipping games with known bugs, known problems, yep. because they figure they're during the uh, shipping cycle they'll come up with the patches. So when you get the sure, game, sure. you're going to have to download two gigs of data to fix the graphic, oh. audio, and programming issues we are all mm-hmm. of us beta yeah. testers now yep. yeah oh yeah it's the same yeah. for operating it's, systems yeah the largest like come up with a release date yeah. the largest department at thq with the most employees was game testing hmm. not marketing not programming not the artist game testing did you guys because hear the it, news this week about uh Game playing is a disease now for kids that are addicted. That's been in the news for decades. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's official or something. No, it's, it's not. A, supposedly, as somebody's yeah, people opinion. are saying it could. Yeah. Yeah. Stevie, you better, better go to the doctor, buddy. Yeah. yeah listen, if I if, like I, if co- I can get coffee it. is bad for you. Coffee is good yeah. for you. Coffee yeah, is bad for you. Coffee is exactly. good for you. <clears throat> yeah. Round and round we go. <laughs> Sugar gives kids hyperactivity. Chocolate gives you zits. Um, um, I was going to say. Oh, I don't remember. I remember some psychiatrist got on the news years ago and said, the reason why everybody wants to get a PT Cruiser is because it looks like a gangster car and they want to be gangsters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like the old 1940s, like Al Capone ones or something, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I was gonna say with that with the with the video game disorder, if I can get like a disability check, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it, man. If I can live off the government because of my disability. Do you get extra my, money back for not ever making it past level two? <laughs> I'm so disabled I can't get past the start screen. <laughs> Double my pension. <laughs> for a couple of years there, I was a lobbyist for the video game industry, and they were trying to come up with ra- ways to regulate it and censor it. And because it was uh, desensitizing young men about violence. So they didn't yeah. think anything about going out and killing somebody after they played a hardcore video game like Doom. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto or something. Grand Theft Auto. I used to go out to uh, um, with our neighbors and friends with our guns, and we used to go play in a. Uh, wooded area and play war all day yeah. long and came back yeah. when the streetlights came on and i don't know how many people real, real guns or toy guns <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> obviously ron was the winner if it was real guns but <laughs> my sister was dressed up as a uh, nurse she had her little case she had a little hat stuff. oh so she was yeah. she was the medic huh let's yeah. go cool. But uh, I yeah, remember that... playing in the neighborhood with with uh, you know toy cap guns and you know we had this yeah, new kid yeah. in the neighborhood and and somebody said okay now you knock him out and they forgot the words pretend to and so he took <laughs> his his little cap gun and he whacked me in the skull with it really hard and I saw stars for a while <laughs> and we said no 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 pretend to okay 
We thought we were characters from the um, series Combat, and if you're old enough to remember the series Combat, with Sergeant Saunders and machine guns, and Mm. that's what we did. Don't get me started. Yeah, Yeah, uh, uh, I remember playing Cowboys and Indians. Out of the blue of the western sky comes Sky King. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing is, when I was doing the... um, uh, lobbying work, you know, I'd I'd be in there discussing his stuff. You know, I had my professional lobbyist with me, and it was always a congressman that was kind of new, and he had been talking to Lieberman because he was dead set he was going to shut down the video game industry, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I even I, but let me finish. I'd go in, yeah, yeah. and the guy says. We have to regulate the industry. We have to put ratings and make sure that these dangerous games don't get into miners' hands. We have to have ratings. I go, oh, like the movie industry? Yes, exactly like the movie industry. I go, and just like the um, um, television where they rate the stuff? Yeah, exactly. I go, here, look at this game. See that up in the corner? That's its rating. We rate our video games the same way the movie and television industry does. We have um, categories and information, and we put it together, and we get a rating. Exactly the same. We have to go to a board, just like the movie industry, to get that rating. But these are self-regulated industries because if the government came in, there's this nasty little... Bill Wright's thing called freedom of speech, it would shut down the law because censorship regulates freedom of speech. When did this guy, start? I, I was, that was back in the uh, 80s, late 80s, early 90s that I was going out and talking to the uh, congressman. Because none of the Cocoa stuff ever had ratings, right? Uh there's a few that probably should have. Should have, yeah. <laughs> no, well, the thing didn't. is, you had to be part of the association, the video game association, when that got started. So, actually, I think it was probably closer to 91, 92, if I remember. It's all foggy, foggy back then. Yeah. But th- that's the thing is, he was that congressman was bound and determined to make America safe for, for kids. And once I told him, the full thing about it would be censorship and kind of ruin this thing called free speech. Most congressmen wouldn't vote for it. Even if it did pass, it would go right to the Supreme Court and get shut down. Now, Steve, I have a question for you. Did you ever get any complaints from like farmers associations and stuff for the violence against corn and popcorn? <laughs> I think we got one hate letter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but the funniest thing is I every time I kept you know I think about it, it was closer to the mid 90s maybe 96 that I was back there but every time I went out to DC I had this funny feeling there was somebody I was supposed to meet that was going to be important to me and every time I was there walking the halls of congress I kept getting that feeling and trust me most of these congressmen I felt like I needed to take a shower after I got home, mm. it was scummy. But yeah. uh, a few years later, 
I met my wife. She was working for a congressman at the time. And I have to admit, I think that's what it was. I was supposed to meet her. Ah, there you go. So cool. But I, you know, it's just have you ever been someplace you got a funny feeling there's somebody important you got to meet? Yeah, yeah that, like a sense that, a sense of destiny. That's kind of like kept, this show. Yeah, that's why I kept doing it for so long. Besides, it was fun to kind of put the congressman in their place, and I really had it in for Lieberman because he had it in mm. for the video game industry. Eventually, he finally gave up. See, the the bill had to start over the, the House of Representatives. It couldn't start in the Senate. That's why he kept getting, you know, a congressman, you know, House of Representatives guy to start the bill. And also, I don't think he wanted to get his hands dirty. Uh, Jim James Gary said he had to leave. Okay. He's gone. Um, yeah, no the um, the whole thing about video games that be, being a bad influence on kids. Even before video games got to the point where they were violent, there were still all these movements and parents because it was just another thing that was the obsession of of children. Before video games, it might have been comic books, yep. and then before that, it was just music. You know, this music is going to cause the kids to want to dance, and if they're going to dance, then they're going to want to make babies, you know, and it's just, yeah. there's always something where they're worried about something, um, and on the one hand, it's nice that there's somebody out there who's worried about the well-being of the children and the future of America, but that usually gets becoming over-obsessive and over-controlling. Um, yeah, Nick Marotta says Dungeons and Dragons was satanic. Yep. Yeah, so um, yeah. so even before video, video games were detailed enough to where it was truly realistic violence, the fact that they were a distraction, there were people who were against them. I remember when we uh, interviewed uh, Jerry Buckner of uh, Pac-Man Fever, he was saying that they he was doing an appearance somewhere, and there were parents and groups all lobbying outside the TV studio because these were the guys who were involved in video games, and we're here to stand up against the video games and stuff. So. It's been going on a long time. Yeah, like Pac-Man's um, going to ruin the youth. Yeah. It's going to make yeah, fatter so. kids. That's what it's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, they'll have problems with their wrists. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I remember like, um, the comics industry went through all this, and they actually got the comics approval board, the Comics Code Authority, the, yeah, created in 54 yeah. from the seduction of the innocent book by Frederick Wortham and a couple others, prayed of mm -hmm. something yeah. like that. But yeah, same you know, exact same thing. We've been going through this every generation, just about just with a different topic. Mm -hmm. you know, the color computer commercials showing the father taking interest in what the son's doing is actually a good thing, and and probably what the uh, color computer was for, uh, you know, having fathers and kids. No, 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 no. Color computer stuff. The color computer was considered a baby babysitter. Well, mm. I I had uh, I, I was able to share with my son. I mean. You know, mm -hmm. if he had questions and stuff, and he, he played games, he, uh, we get a new game, we'd share it together, or whatever, or, you know, it was some yeah, interaction. Well, it depends on the parents. Whereas, you know, yeah. I, I guess you could have your kid off in the corner playing without you even interacting with uh, your, the computer either, I suppose. I don't know. It didn't happen yeah. that way in our house. Yeah. I made sure, even when my, my son had a PC later, um, he was subject to search. I would... Tell him, you know, I, I know everything that's on your machine. So if you get bad stuff on your machine, you're not going to have your machine anymore. Yeah, I got I got to <laughs> do that for my nine year old right yeah, now. <laughs> so, I mean, I have to do so, that, and he had to know. Yeah. And I said, when you uh, turn your machine off, you leave and go play with your friends. Your machine is subject to me. It's yeah. mine. Okay. 
As, and to be honest, as long that as was... it's being fully disclosed, it's uh, you yeah. Know. He never really had anything on there. Yeah, he got nothing to hide. No. He got nothing to worry about. And to be That's honest, right. that was one of the original arguments of the video game systems, like the Ataris and the Intellivisions, versus the computers, because the computers you could actually, quote unquote, really learn stuff. Even though most kids use computers for games anyway, but yeah. Well, if you look yeah. at all the commercials that Radio Shack did, they said computer games, not video games. Yeah. yeah. But they'd also throw in like a word processor or spreadsheet or something yes. or, or math but tutor or something. There's there's something else too though. My son was also able to go over his friend's house and God knows what was on their machine. No idea. <laughs> it could have been a Commodore. Yeah. No. no, I mean content. Yeah. Well, parents have always kind of looked for babysitters that were cheap. And yeah. right now... Television. Yeah. Well, actually, right now, mm. uh, there's a lot a lot of water parks. You know, we hit the season. They will not mm. let somebody under the age of 16 go in without a parent or guardian. Because what people were doing was dropping off their 8, 10-year-old kids to go spend the day mm -hmm. while they went off and did stuff. And... Yeah. So, you know, they'd have these packs of, you know, 10-year-old kids running around the park, new supervision, getting into trouble. And they finally said, we got to do something about it. Even Disneyland mm -hmm. says, if you're under a certain age, which I think is 10, you cannot go in their park without a parent or guardian sure. in the group. Yeah. Right. Uh, have, we, have we covered enough for one day, panel? I think so. Yeah, we have. So, um, I, I enjoyed today's show. I enjoyed the uh, definitely enjoyed the assembly talk. Uh, I always love the Tandy questions, and um, what else? So I don't know if you guys want to do another show tonight. We can just discuss that later, or we can agree to maybe think about doing that tonight again for more talk and after dark. Um, but well, how long have we been doing this now? It's uh, for it's almost five. It's almost three hours, right? So. I think we've crammed in enough content for one week. So um, thank you to everybody who's been here in the live chat. Al Hartman's been here. Jim Gary. Ken Reichert has been here. Nick Moroda. James Diffendaffer has been here. Uh, Bruce Moore was here in the chat as well as on the call. And lots of people. Dr. X0079 and Paul Thayer was here earlier. Antonio. And... Uh, Antonio was watching us on YouTube. Mark Siegel. Uh, a lot of people in the live chat. Mark Siegel was here. I'm trying to scroll back right now. James Diffendaffer, Mark Siegel, myself, Curtis Boyle. Um, lots of people in the chat. I think we were up to uh, like 24 or so viewers at any one given time. Good show. Thanks, guys. We will have more, uh, more Cocoa Talk every week. We'll have uh, hopefully more Assembly Talk. Uh, I'm trying to finish basic in the next week and start uh, my own series on assembly starting in July. So I'll be having some videos as well as I go through the struggle. And then hopefully the struggle I go through during the week, we can maybe help answer at Coco Talk. <laughs> hey, thanks <laughs> for doing like those that, videos. So. It's cool. It's been yeah, a lot of time yeah, doing Good that. stuff. No, cool. Good. Thanks, thanks, Ron. And yeah, I like our new segment now too, talking about old Coco Magazine. So that's kind of cool. There's a lot to mine from there. So uh, there you go. All right, guys, and for the for those who are still in the panel, uh, Greg uh, Leety has been here, Grant Leety, uh, Ron Delvaux, Nicholas Marentes, Rick Adams, Mark Overholzer, Mr. Steve Bjork, and L. Curtis Boyle. Thank you all for being here. We're going to go ahead and start our closing ceremonies, <laughs> and we'll be back 
And oh yeah, John, uh, John Doe was here. Says waving a hand. So yeah, lots of people. So we're, this is the beginning of the end, but it's not over yet. So sit tight. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer links needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks Where is to David Curtis Ladd? Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our best of episodes and bonus content. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Boyson Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N tech.com. Get your own switcheroo at cocoman.biz and Cloud9 Technologies at cloud, the number nine, tech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge, co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts, and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvo, and Jason Reichert. Production hey. motivation, Steve Bjork. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Shillar. Mix, mastered, and I produced gotta get that by fixed. D. Bruce Moore. <laughs> Coco forever, people. And let's not forget a very special thank you to Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Yeah. And our patrons, Steve Bjork and Richard Lorbieski and Alan Huffman. And Brendan Donahue, Ken Reichard, D. Bruce Moore, Paul Fiscarelli, Disney Saints fan, Brian Joyce, Hi, and so many, Tony so many more. Whoops, Tom C. Well, there we go. It just rolled right into the bonus credits. <laughs> I forgot to switch back. Three, two, go. I'm buying your bacon face. Okay. <laughs> Do you, do you have a You're rolling, Curtis. You say whatever the hell you want to say. Well, give me some. Hey, he's wearing the same uh, shirt. You only need uh, their clothes, this Curtis. Boyle. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. This is Eric, and you're listening to Coco <laughs> All right, we're rolling. You say whatever you want there to say. There he is. David. There's David. <laughs> you can't even say it. world, sweetie. Weekly. Any computer. Something like that. All right, I'm soon. Playing dagger is like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, now get back up there for one second. Oh, jeez. Come on. What? 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 Let's, let's get some dry wire, TTL, no. ESP. No, we don't need any dry wire or TTL. <laughs> Hi, it's Chris Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Talk. 
crew of people. Hi, we're on Belbo Timberman. To uh, experience Coco Fest, you must come. I brought the only working MC10. I couldn't get a grant. Ah. By certain someone you know. The world's leading weekly Coco Talk Show. Yeah, something like that. Hi, this is Rick Adams, and I'm the author of uh, yeah. Temple of Braum, Shanghai, and now Bomb Threat, and you're listening to Steven Stroke on Coco Talk. 8 slot MPI. You know, floppy drive, Coco SDC, um, sound speech pack, orchestra 90, RS-232 pack, modem pack, uh, super IDE. You start adding all those together if you want them all usable at the same time. Well, guess what? You just went over the four slot MPI. That's like, don't cross the streams. Yeah. Don't go over the four slot MPI. <laughs> Who's going to use half that crap anyway? Uh, <laughs> David Ladd. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the 8-pack can be gangbang to 16. <laughs> gangbang? <laughs> Not the technical oh. term, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is that when all eight... Uh, Steve, I think you've been hanging mind. around Stevie and me too long. <laughs> it's the Steve name. It must do things. Hey, hey, uh, hey. This is now after show bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> Go out and gangbang yourself in eight said, slot. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we are going to end this uh, thing. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for being here. Did we decide if we want to do an after dark or will yes, we decide we later? We decided. We did decide. We and what decide. was the answer? <laughs> oh, we've decided we will decide. Yes. Anyone? Anyone? I'll do it. I'll be around tonight. Right, okay. All right, we got Ron Delvo. That's all we need. Oh, we got a show, folks. All right, so all I want to know is when it is. Should be here. All right. Well, typically nine p.m., which would be roughly eight four hours from now. I may not make it. That's no show oh. without you, Ron. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I don't th yeah. think my voice will be able to make it. Okay. I, all right. To be determined. I have a wife. Uh, there you go. All right. Well, if is we that wife if or we life? do it, wife. Wife. <laughs> All right, well, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we will Discord. If you pay attention to we'll your Discord. wife, you will get to keep your life. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you happy, happy wife, happy life. Words of wisdom. Yep. Never truer words. Go. All right, well, possibly. The answer is possibly. So make sure you're subscribed, you're able to be notified, and if we do it, we'll be on the air. All right, we're, this is it. Coco Talk, episode 63, signing off. In the bucket. In three, 